does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Training camp's a great time to put your work in and hopefully improve. And Anthony's been been doing a good job of putting his work in, and it's it's showing up on the practice field. You know, had a couple nice days here, made a couple nice plays. You know, a couple good drives. We've been doing some more sort of call it periods. I think Coach Steichen's talked to you guys about where, you know, we don't have a script. You can't study exactly the plays that are coming. We just got to go play football, which is what we are eventually going to do right out there on the field. Um, and and so we kind of find out a lot about the guys. And uh, we had a couple situational sort of drills where, you know, Anthony was able to lead us down. And, and get a touchdown or get a two-point conversion, things like that. So put together a couple good days, and we got to keep that going, right? It doesn't doesn't stop with a couple good ones. You just got to keep on driving day after day to, to improve, and so far he's done a great job of that, and hopefully we'll, we'll keep him heading that direction. That would be the voice of Jim Bob Cooter talking about Anthony Richardson, which is always a main topic of conversation. Perhaps the Jonathan Taylor intrigue has taken some of the spotlight off of the fourth overall pick in this year's NFL draft. That will not be the case, though. Coming up for the rest of the week, Colts now have a day off from practice tomorrow, a getaway day practice on Thursday. They'll be hopping a flight to Buffalo on Friday. I am fortunate enough to be on it because I will be on the call of the preseason game alongside of Rick Venturi and Lara Overton, which you can see on great television stations all across the Midwest. And if you didn't recognize the voice by now, my name is Greg Rakestraw. Hello, how are you? And welcome to the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. As is the case in virtually any NFL market during uh, early August, say Remy Baseball, uh, you know, the, the local baseball team isn't you know, having a great year or doing something dumb to their play-by-play guy. Uh, the NFL typically tends to be the dominant topic once we get to this point in time of the season. It is what I am going to lead with. It's what we'll have a guest about in terms of Mike Chapel coming up during the 2 o'clock hour. But today we will kind of bounce around a little bit from topic to topic as I am sitting in on the program today. But I will start with the National Football League because, well, I was out at Colts practice as I have been for most of now about the last 15 days or so. And today, as practices go, I would say was largely ho-hum. Just happened to be in the days that I have been out there. I have seen far more of Anthony Richardson working with the ones than I had Gardner Minshew. Today, that was Gardner Minshew that got the ones. And There are many reasons I could say this, but God bless Kevin Bowen. And it's for this particular stat. If you go to 1075thefan.com right now, maybe that's where you're listening to my voice from, is through the app or through the website. If you look at Kevin's Colts coverage, he has it broken down through nine training camp practices. Anthony Richardson, I love how Kevin puts this unofficially. If you have a specific count, I'd say it's pretty much close to official. I'll I'll give you credit for this. Richardson has 83 starters reps. Minshew has 75. So they have truly alternated at the position. Minshew has looked solid. um, And Richardson today looked fine when I saw him. Apparently his best day was night when I was not there on Saturday night. I was there on Sunday afternoon. 
and I thought he looked good. And I was relating this to Jimmy Cook before the show began. I can't sit here and tell you, he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's a surefire 15-year pro. No, I, no I, I don't know that. None of us know that. I'm not sure any of us are going to know that for quite some time. Um, but can I definitively tell you I have seen the young man make progress from his first couple of practice sessions to what he has consistently done over the course of the last couple of weeks? Absolutely. You can literally start seeing it come together. There are still times he's a little bit delayed on a read, um, and there are times when he'll throw a pick. He threw one late in the practice session today. That's going to happen, but definitively progress is being made. In an area where I'm not sure progress is being made, either in terms of a, of a contract, stalemate, or injury, today was the first practice session that Jonathan Taylor was not present. Now, he had an excused absence uh, from practice today. And let's be blunt about this. Um, given kind of the demeanor he has had and simply watching from the sidelines, I'm not so sure that not being there isn't the best thing for everybody involved. You just kind of get to focus on those that are playing instead of those that are not but certainly it is worth reporting or at least fair to note that JT was not an interested or maybe even uninterested uninterest participant in today's practice. What is notable for me, and let's face it, okay, what is important now is rarely, you hope, important 30 days from now. Again, uh, today is August the 8th. The season starts a month from Thursday. The injuries that are the case now tend not to worry you unless you know they are going to carry over into the early stage of the season. Like just down I-74, they are rightly freaking out about the fact that Joe Burrow's got a calf strain and they're not sure if he's going to play first couple of games of the year. That is a situation where it's right to be concerned. I don't think any of the injuries other than, say, Taylor's situation, which is more than just an injury, clearly an injury plays a part, you should be worried about that for September the 10th. The fact that his primary backup in Zach Moss broke his arm a week or so ago and his return date would be right around September the 10th, it's fair to worry about that. The next injury that I would say it's fair to worry about would be Julian Blackman who's been sitting the entirety of training camp with a hamstring. Now, in part, there are certain guys that simply their injury history tells you you had better have a backup or kind of a guy on a job share you know, plan along with him. And sadly, for as good as Blackman has been, that's been his M.O. Kind of like Tyquan Lewis, who did return to practice today off the pup list, which is good news. But again, I'll cite from... Kevin Bowen's article in front of me, he's played double-digit games one time in his NFL career. He's been very productive when he has, but he's played double-digit games one time. But it just kind of struck me, and I, and I had this casual conversation with Rick Venturi, and, and there are sometimes I will sit just next to him and try to glean things during a practice. There's sometimes that I kind of give him space, but as we get closer to having those games that we are going to broadcast together, we tend to spend a little more time together to kind of get a figure out of, of, hey, 
what what's the game plan? What, what are we going to be talking about here? Um, you know, coming up on on this Saturday afternoon and the following Saturday evening. And I had to make the content or the or the, the the comment to him. Hey, I, I don't think it's a matter of us sitting our starters. And Shane Steichen backed that up in his post-practice comments today. The starters are going to get some reps. But there are also some starters that have not been in uniform. If not for like a couple of weeks, then for a couple of three days. And I would tend to believe the guys that weren't in practice today, even though you're not truly game planning for Buffalo, but the guys that weren't in practice today probably aren't going to see the field on Saturday. Because, again, no practice tomorrow. Thursday is just a walkthrough. Friday, you're getting on a plane. And Saturday, you're playing your preseason opener. But I won't rattle through all of the injured players. I will simply give you kind of the notable players that were a no-go at practice today. Julian Blackman, Kenny Moore, Zach Moss, Jelani Woods, Moali Cox, DeForest Buckner, Rodney Thomas, Deion Jackson, and obviously no Jonathan Taylor. So at the running back position today, it was four players were in uniform. Four. It was Hull. uh, It was Funk. It was Scott. And it was Kenyon Drake. Those were the four guys that were taking practice reps today. Xavier Scott is a rookie from Maine. Kenyon Drake, obviously, veteran, somewhat more of a known commodity. Not sure how quickly up to speed he is going to be for this week's game, but again, he's kind of an insurance policy. If Zach Moss isn't ready for the season opener, you've got a guy that has been there and done that. Jake Funk is in his second year out of the University of Maryland. And Evan Hull was a third-day draft pick out of Northwestern. Those were the four cats that were available at the running back position today. Uh, the safety position is, is, is looking kind of in a similar fashion right now, where you've not seen Julian Blackman. You've not seen Rodney Thomas. That meant that your starting safeties today when the ones were on the field were Trevor Denbo, who for like a day was the punter for the Colts last year, and Nick Cross, third-round draft pick last year, drafted the age of 20, was a special teams guy, rarely saw the field last year. Again, there's, there's a, a, a uh, to use my buddy John Dishour's terminology, there's only a modified level of freak out about some of those spots. Like not having Jonathan Taylor you are free to freak the blank out about that situation. That's fair. Um, I'm not sure if, if, if Zach Moss would be of that ilk, but fair to be concerned because he proved to be a, a suitable backup when he got here at you know middle of November last year and played more as the season went along. And given the names that I just gave you with Deion Jackson not practicing today, it's a little thin in the running back room right now for the Indianapolis Colts. But it's the avoiding the long-term injuries that you're most concerned with. That's what you really care about. And other than the Jonathan Taylor situation, fingers crossed, that group has largely done it. Uh, I gave you the first bit of good news in terms of the injury front for the Colts, and that being Taequann Lewis off the pup list. 
The biggest news has been that Shaquille Leonard has basically been involved now in the 11-on-11 contact stuff. As much contact as there going to be in any NFL training camp practice at this point, he has now been involved in like every drill, most of the reps that he needs to for the last few days. Does that translate to he's playing on Saturday? I don't know. We'll have a better idea Thursday, if not Friday. I might be one of the handful that would be in the know before the game actually takes place on Saturday. If that's the case, I'll tell you just after 1 o'clock on the Colts television network. Thumbs up for those of you watching, by the way, on Twitter and YouTube, etc. Just have to visualize that if you're listening to me on radio. But if you're visualizing, I frankly look much better in that form anyway. Um, Does that translate to... Is Shaq going to be the same level of impact player he was in 2021 and the three years previous to that? Have no idea. Proof is in the pudding. All I can tell you, for a guy that seemingly was shrouded in so much mystery in terms of we had no idea what to expect going into training camp, well, the news has been as good as it possibly could be for the last two weeks. And if he is close to the player he was in 18, 19, 20, and then to a lesser degree in 21, where he wasn't the same every down, every tackle player, but was still by far the best chance creator in terms of turnovers, fumbles, hits, etc., then maybe you could argue linebacker might be the best position on this team between he and Zaire Franklin and EJ Speed right behind that, where I like that group. Again, Would I like to think that Shaq's going to get some playing time at some point in the preseason? Yes. I think he needs to get just just some live fire to to, to get some experience out there. Does it have to be this Saturday? I'm not sure. We'll find that out over the course of the next couple of days. So, uh, nothing from Colts camp tomorrow. Kind of a quickie on Thursday. And then it is off to Buffalo. You want to talk a little horseshoes? That's fine. Phone lines are open now, 317-239-1070, at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the program to greg at 1070thefan.com. We'll talk more Colts with Mike Chappell coming up at approximately 2 o'clock. Obviously, we'll talk more about it with you on the telephone lines when you want to discuss it, et cetera. From a guest standpoint today, the other two guests that I have scheduled as of now are both of the upcoming weekend that will be at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. First of all, the winner on the streets of Nashville two days ago, Kyle Kirkwood, his second street course victory of the season following up Long Beach in April in his second year in the NTT Data IndyCar Series, driving for Andretti Autosport. He'll be joining us at 1 o'clock. Of course, the IndyCar guys, they'll make right and left turns on the road course on Saturday. The uh, Cup guys will do so on Sunday. We'll have a full day of coverage on Sunday on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We won't have it on Saturday because, you know, nine hours of Colts coverage will kind of take precedent from 10 a.m. until 7 p. But basically, noon till about 7.30 is when we'll talk all thing Verizon 200 at the Brickyard coming up on Sunday afternoon. And talking about the entirety of the weekend and acknowledging the fact this is the 30th year of stock car racing at 16th and Georgetown. Kurt Cavan, who's working now, be found on IndyCar.com. We'll talk about some of the stuff coming up this weekend, but largely it will be the historical context of 
man, I can't believe it's now been three decades that we've been doing this. 30th Brickyard Weekend, obviously no longer the Brickyard 400. Signs seem to point that it's going to go back to that next year that, hey, we've tried the road course. Let's go back to the Oval. Perhaps you alternate. I don't know. Let's face it, you know, there, there's been such fluctuation on this event in terms of date. Um, you just kind of shrug your shoulders and say, well, NASCAR's here this weekend. And, and then kind of move on from that. Uh, but we'll talk about that with Kurt coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the show. In terms of other topics that I want to sink my teeth into on the program today. Uh, first of all, and I'm sure this was a major point of discussion in terms of the college realignment. And the latest kind of few salvos that have been happening towards the end of last week. I think I was on here Wednesday and you kind of got the, the the rumor circulating that what was expected to be the demise of the Pac-12 was starting to accelerate. Arizona seemed to be the first that kind of pulled the after Colorado did. Then it was Arizona, quickly followed by Utah and Arizona State. They find their landing spot in the Big 12. Obviously, Washington, Oregon. And now it leads to... We have ourselves a four-pack, and then yesterday, you know, is are California and Stanford going to the Atlantic Coast Conference? Perhaps it beats the other alternatives of playing in the Mountain West or being independents. Oregon State and Washington State seem to be the kind of the two that's left holding the bag, and they're probably heading towards the Mountain West. I'm going to see how good the listening skills and now memory retention are for my co-host slash producer slash board op, Jimmy Cook. Who was the movie character and the movie I attribute it to in terms of the driving force for typically all things, especially when it comes to what is college sports right now? We had this conversation last Wednesday, James. Who was it? You just give me a letter grade. Don't know the person. I know it was blue chips. It's all about the money. Good. Two out of three ain't bad. You meatloafed it. Good job. Uh, Pete Bell was the coach. Nick Nolte is the actor. It's all about the money. It's all about the blankety-blank money. And that's not exactly anything new. Um, (laughs) I have called this the era of unabashed capitalism in terms of college sports. I think we are done with the ivory tower aspect of this. It's just straight business, y'all. I love the promo I heard from Dan Wetzel, by the way, who was great with JMB yesterday afternoon that led into my show, led into this show. Basically, I said, you know, we NFL talk about this for five years. College sports does this in like two minutes. Yeah, yeah, sure. Let's go. Let's go for it. We'll figure it out. Let's go. Um, You don't want to be left on the outside looking in. And that's what Cal and Stanford are right now. That's what Wazoo and Oregon State are going to be. And I think I have cited or given credit to every other member of the full-time on-air staff of 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan in the opening segment of the program. But this is from a different vehicle. Since I had a chance to spend time the last couple of days with Jay Query, since after he does uh, Kevin and Query every Monday morning, he drives to the ISC Sports Network studios to film Query and Schultz. And Jake, as per usual, pretty perceptive on things because every time that we think, well, hey, 
the um, roulette wheel, the Ferris wheel, the wheel of death, whatever you want, the merry-go-round, whatever you want to call it. Every time that we think this is going to stop, it never does. Something changes. A couple of teams that make a move. What was the Texas-Oklahoma move two years ago at this point that they announced that they were going to go to the, to the SEC and that move takes place next summer? Everything has been a domino effect since that time. It's been a slow trickle. The dam finally burst at the end of last week. But every time you think, well, Big Ten's at 18. They're not adding more, right? Wrong. The SEC's at 16. They're not adding more, right? Wrong. The Big 12's at 16. Hey, the Big 12 still exists. Let's give them some credit because it looked like four or five years ago that was not going to be the case. Big 12's fine, right? Maybe. Who's to say they're done at, at 16 teams? And it's funny that You've got Jimmy and I together. I'm going to guess that he has used this analogy, either off the air and maybe on. Perhaps he and I have used this analogy together in the times that we have done this. But the most apropos comparison I can think to what the larger landscape of college athletics are going to look like going forward it's best that you got a couple of soccer knuckleheads that can help explain it to you. Because the NCAA at the major Division I level, the closest thing it resembles, Jimmy, is what? I think I see you nodding accordingly, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you finish my sentence for me. The other sporting event league bond coalition that major Division One athletes is Division One athletics is going to is going to mostly resemble starting next year is what event? I would say the Champions League. You nailed it, absolutely. Where in Europe there are three, four, five leagues that compete for the best talent. Premier League generally thought to be the best league. Bundesliga probably right behind it. Depending on what year it is, you could say La Liga or Serie A. Generally, Ligue 1, the French League, is thought to be kind of the fifth best league of the European leagues. Dutch League probably would check in at sixth. You've got occasionally a team or two from France that will be competitive in terms of the race for the for the you know European championship to see who's going to win the Champions League like Manchester City finally did a couple of months ago. Okay, you're going to have the, the, the big two, sometimes the third with Atletico uh, in Spain that are competing for a top spot. Seem to have more teams that kind of alternate positioning out of Italy. In the Bundesliga, it's Bayern Munich and everybody else. But that's the way this is going to work. You're going to have a handful of power teams from the Big Ten. You're going to have a you're going to have a handful of power teams from the SEC. You're going to have maybe a couple of teams from the Big 12 that without Texas and Oklahoma, I'm not so sure that they will have a team competing for a, a CFP championship every year, but there's good depth there. There's good talent there. The ACC, they're all locked into their deal. 
So Clemson and if Florida State ever figures it out, same with Miami. Again, they could get to that top flight, but they probably don't have the depth in that league that clearly an SEC does or that a Big Ten does. But that's kind of the way this is shaping up. And again, when you look at this and, and say, what about the travel? What about the rivalries? What about sports other than football? The answer is, sadly, it doesn't matter. Now, there will be things like travel partners, and in theory, if you're flying out to play USC in what is a non-revenue sport, or dear God, I, I would hope even basketball would be in that group as well, you're going to you're going to play UCLA at the same time. If you're playing one on a Thursday, you're playing the next one on a, on a Saturday. You're playing one on a Saturday, you're playing the other one on a Monday. And that's the way it's worked at the lower levels of Division One, a lot of levels of Division Two for quite some time. Those are all bus trips, talking about plane trips and things like that now. But you don't have to go all that deep in the weeds to figure this out, okay? It is all about the money. Full stop. Nothing else matters other than that. And secondarily, it's all about football. It's great that other schools have those programs, and clearly we tend to talk about basketball a little bit more here than in other parts of the country from a college standpoint. But in terms of what's driving this, straight cash, homie, and that's all it is about. And I don't see it changing at the top level anytime soon. But there's really two points on this subject that I want to get back into in the next segment of the show. If you want to talk Colts, phone lines are open between now and 1 o'clock. Now's your time. 317-239-1070 at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter or X or wherever the hell it is. And then Greg at 1070thefan.com. But uh, there's two more topics on the realignment conversation that I want to have. I kind of branched away from one of them. The second one I haven't had a chance to get into yet, but we will. And there's one other pressing topic that I keep wanting to go, there's got to be more to this, right? Right? Has to be, right? We'll get to that in follow-up segments of the program as well. All of our guests in the 1 and 2 o'clock hour, and frankly, from a guest standpoint, we're pretty backloaded today. So if there's something you want to say, no time like the present. Dial us up anytime, 317-239-1070. Your phone calls, tweets, your emails, and more. Come back next. Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Greg Rakestraw is my name, and Jimmy Cook is on the ones and twos as per usual. It is the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan, happy to add this to my uh, job duties and responsibilities for the week. I got Indy 11 tomorrow night. I got the City League Finals on Thursday night. Hop a plane to Buffalo on Friday afternoon and get to call an NFL football game on Saturday afternoon. Then it's at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for pre- and post-coverage on Sunday. I'm one lucky dude. There is no doubt about that. Three one seven. Not very busy. Uh, not no. It's just a chill week. Three one seven two three nine ten seventy. The telephone number. Anthony, I see you there. Let me get through one tweet, and then I will get to you. And others want to jump on the phone lines. Feel free. From Joe. Hey, Greg. Went to Colts practice this morning. Anthony did not look sharp today. You know who did? Sam. Well, you know, every time I I see Sam get some reps. 
a lot of thoughts come to my mind. First of all, I've called a lot of his passes over the last uh, two preseasons, and I think I'll get to see a lot of him over the course of of this one as well. Um, secondarily, I'm thinking about the the difference in perspective that he has gone through. I mean, he's seen a lot in three NFL training camps. So two years ago, Carson Wentz gets hurt on the second day of training camp. And all of a sudden, it's he and Eason that are splitting reps and potentially having to get ready for the start of the season. Now, obviously, Wentz was ready for week number one. Sam got hurt in the final preseason game in Detroit. Um, but he was he was a big topic of conversation two training camps ago in the month of August of 2021. Last year ago, man, remember how much talked about Sam last year? And then it was such an afterthought because there's no way he's getting on the field in front of Matt Ryan or Nick Foles, right? Not so much. He's playing at the end of October. Has one solid game against the Commanders. Has one awful game against the Patriots. And until Nick Foles got hurt, that was the end of that. Until New Year's Day. And now here's Sam Ellinger again. And in any other scenario, I would go, man, Sam's Sam's an afterthought. Dude, you, you, you've got your pecking order. You've got your veteran backup in Gardner Minshew. You've got your fourth pick in the draft in Anthony Richardson. Maybe I should learn the crazy things happen in the National Football League, and so you never know. Sam has been solid, and I, and I don't want to start the um, – Sam could be a potential starting quarterback. I don't want to start that again, Okay. So let me make sure you get that qualifier digested before I then go to the next thing. Um, once you made the move to him middle of last year, should have given more than just the two games he got because Bill Belichick makes a lot of rookies look exactly the way, and I realize he was a rookie, he was a second-year player. Made a lot of guys making their second start in the National Football League look exactly the way that he did. But in a, I don't even say a perfect world, but in a normal scenario, you're probably not getting a number four during a regular season game. Now, injuries happen. And is it cataclysmically bad for the Colts if all of a sudden Sam Ellinger makes an appearance in the game? No, Joe, I don't think so. Thank you for your observation. Anthony has been waiting on hold for a few minutes. Let's fix that now. 317-239-1070. Hello, Anthony. Hello, Greg. I wanted to say thank you uh, also for throwing out the Sam Ellinger thing that you just talked about. The uh, the very same thing that you talked about with Bill Belichick making rookies look foolish, I was telling people last year. So thank you for putting, uh, putting my thoughts out on the radio about that. Sure. I am um, also a partial mind reader at times, Anthony, so happy to give you those services. <laughs> I appreciate that. I wanted to talk about something that I saw on Twitter, or as you call it, X, or whatever they call it these days. It came across my feed yesterday, and I'm going to throw a name out there that I still remember uh, as a good Colt. Justin Houston, Yep, if you recall him, with defensive end. He signed with Carolina yesterday. Yep. We all know who is the coach of Carolina. Um, I'm not saying that Frank Reich is blameless. I I want to I want to throw that out there before I, I do this. I mean, I I think that there's a fair amount of blame to go around, but I get the sense 
in the zeitgeist of the moment that amongst Colts fans, it's like, oh, it's all Frank Reich's fault and, and Chris Bauer is completely innocent. And um, I don't see it that way. And I think one way or the other, this Colts season and this Carolina season is going to bring things to light. One way or the other. Sure. No, I, I, I get that. And, 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 and Anthony, anything else before I let you go? Anything else for us? No, I just, I just, I just wanted to say, I just find it interesting, uh, and this is this is me being critical of Chris Ballard, is that, you know, when he let Justin Houston walk and he let Janeko Audrey walk, he very smugly said after he drafted Quiddy Pay and Dale, well, you know, our defensive end room is is crowded right now. He said something to that effect. Um, he also had Ben Banigo in that defensive end room, <laughs> sure. so I, 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 I'm not sure how that makes it crowded. I find it. I, I just. I find it interesting that Justin Houston signed with with Carolina. Yeah. So, so, Anthony, buddy, thanks for the phone call. Here's what I would say to this, and and I can't sit here and, and tell you that I know exactly off the top of my head exactly what Justin's produce you know production was with Baltimore the last two years. So I I literally have have just pulled it up. Uh, he had four and a half sacks in 15 starts two years ago. In largely a reserve role, in other words, third down specialist, he had nine and a half sacks last year. Pretty solid. He's also 34 years of age. He is also getting ready to start his 13th NFL season. First of all, good for him that you made it that far. I thought that he was kind of exactly what you thought you were getting from the Indianapolis Colts in 2019-2020. I understood that you wanted to get younger at that position when you went with Pay and Odangbo. We have seen flashes from both of those guys. Now it's kind of production time for both of those guys. They need to step up and be larger impact players than they have been. And yes, the Danico Autry point that you made, I think, is fair. Now, DeForest Buckner... Grover Stewart, the best position on this football team to me is defensive tackle. You are set at those two spots. You play Lewis there occasionally when health allows him to. You play Odangbo there occasionally, kind of bounce him back and forth inside, outside, depending on the number of players, you know, kind of whatever your your, your packages, NASCAR packages, sprint packages, coaches like to say about a front four. Um, I probably take more umbrage with Autry not being brought back than than Houston not being brought back I thought that Justin was was good not great but it was solid and that's not meant to be a backhanded compliment I understand why the Colts made that move to me Autry when he was here for three years and two of them were really good he was going to be a guy whose 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 production was going to be tough to replace even if you had Guys like Stewart and Buckner lined up in front of him. There's enough reps to go around. But to your whole bigger point, Anthony, I don't think there is an overwhelming sentiment that it was just Frank Reich that was the problem. Man, there was blame to go around everywhere last year. It just so happens that it was the head coach that was let go and Chris was brought back. But I think Chris will be the first to tell you, hey, I've made mistakes A, B, and C. I've made, I, I've made these mistakes. I'm being given the chance to rebuild around that. 
This was not just a Frank Reich problem. Now, what do I think the Panthers are going to do this year? I have no idea. The Panthers do have, I think, the benefit of playing in a division where there is no dominant team. But the Panthers were a game out of first last year, and they were 7-10. and 10. The Falcons also won seven games. The Saints also won seven games. The Tom Brady-led Bucks won eight games and won the division, made the postseason. And now, obviously, Tampa Bay is starting to go through a bit of a rebuild. So it's a little bit of a, of a different scenario where you would bring in a veteran to go make more of a push to win the division if you're Carolina than, frankly, you're going to do here. But I, I, I don't think it's public sentiment nor even sentiment within the Colts' complex that this was strictly Frank Reich's fault. And just because he's gone, all of a sudden, everything is going to be better with the Colts. I don't think that's the case. Do I believe that a different voice helps? Absolutely, I do. Am I confident, at least from an offensive standpoint, in Shane Steichen's ability to scheme this up for this team to, even with some question marks in terms of the parts and the youth of them, do I think there are some things from a scheme standpoint this team can accomplish? I absolutely do. Anthony, I hope that answers your question, and thanks for dialing us up. You want to keep the conversation going on this month? Feel free, 317-239-1070. I didn't get much into realignment in this segment of the show. Maybe I'll meander back in that direction in the coming segment of the show. Kyle Kirkwood at 1, Mike Chappell, Kirk Cabot at 2 and 2.30. You everywhere and anywhere in between on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. A mixture of Colts conversation, conference realignment conversation. I got to figure out what's going on in Baltimore because it really can't be what's been attributed as to why a broadcaster has been suspended for the Orioles. It, I mean, common sense prevails at some point, right? Well, we'll figure that out. We'll talk plenty of IndyCar, NASCAR, and with you on the phone lines as Joey wants to talk a little Indianapolis Colts and D-line with us. Hello, Joey. What do you have for us? Hey, how's it going, boss? Great show so far. Thank you, buddy. Hey, so I know we were talking about D-line a few minutes ago, and I'm just kind of thinking, I know we've got, you know, a million stories going on with the Colts right now. You know, I'm sure that, you know, in that, the D-line kind of gets lost in the shuffle. But I don't know. I feel like the D-line, you know, the development of our young guys is definitely a you know, big part of our success going forward, and I feel like we really haven't heard much about them in this camp so far. So I guess, one, if you have heard anything about, you know, how they're doing so far, and then, two, you know, um, I lost my train of thought there. But, yeah, I mean – do you, do you feel like there's any development there? Do you feel like we're just kind of, you know, you know, keep moving along with Quiddy and Die and all these guys that really, you know, are along? Like, what are your thoughts on all that? So we're we're gonna learn um, the next couple of weeks, and it's not necessarily in the preseason games. How does the Colts' defensive line do against the Bears' offensive line at Grand Park next Wednesday and Thursday? How does the Colts' defensive line do against the Eagles' offensive line in their workouts on Monday? and Tuesday the following week in Philadelphia. DeForest Buckner left with a foot injury a few days ago, has not been practicing. Samson Ebucom, who was brought in from the Niners, uh, has missed more time than he has played. He was back out there today. Tyquan Lewis just got brought on the pup list, or brought off the pup list. And so it's not like, you know, it's it's not like you're gonna be able to light up your own quarterback. There's a reason why they're wearing red jerseys. But usually, you're not bringing ball carries to the ground. There's not full-on hitting that is going on during those practices. There always tends to be a little bit more 
Um, well, I'm trying to think of the best way to say that. It's a little more authentic when you're playing another team. You, you let up a little bit less in practice when it's somebody from the other team. Uh, today was also kind of to the point there was a, a you know, I, I don't want to say fight, bit of a dust up at the end. Kind of the typical, all right, we're two weeks in, we're tired of hitting on each other, let's go hit on somebody else. You know, we were kind of that point with the football team. So in other words, I'll have a better idea as to the development of this defensive line over the next couple of weeks. Uh, just because you've got you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna sack. It's not like Justin Fields is gonna get taken to the ground by a Colts player. It's not the way those practices work. But you get a little closer to the quarterback. You're gonna be a little more spirited when you go against the other offensive line because that's not your teammate over there. So Joey, I think if if you can make it to Grand Park next Wednesday or Thursday, you'll probably get a better answer for yourself than what I can give you here. Awesome. Hey, much appreciated, as always. Thank you, Joey. I appreciate you calling in. Um, I mean, let's face it, okay? Ebucom, Lewis, I think Muhammad, just because I know he didn't do much in Chicago last year, but he's been solid when he's been here. Dio, Quiddy, uh, DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, and then you're looking at maybe another you know, couple of players out of the mix. You had a, a draft pick from last year and Eric Johnson the second, uh, who played at Missouri State. Um, but that's, that's kind of what you're looking at. I mean, you, you're looking at you've got six or seven of what is normally an eight-man rotation pretty well set. And I'm not sure, other than in terms of injuries, other than the obvious, who is going to be the starting quarterback, how much in the way of true position battles that you're dealing with this year. I mean, if all things are healthy, you're looking at probably Dallas Flowers, Kenny Moore, Juju Brents, who was, again, slowing on the field, but now has been out there the last few days. Thinking about a three-man starting you know, cornerback rotation, those are your guys. Rodney Thomas, Julian Blackman, who are both hurt. Thomas now with a toe injury. And again, Blackman's been nursing a hamstring injury. Those are your safeties. If you're going to play five in the backfield, you're playing two linebackers. Well, if they're healthy, those two linebackers are obviously Zaire Franklin and Shaq Leonard. We're talking about four up front, Pay, Ebucom, Stewart, Buckner. Those are your four. Offensive line seemingly is set, and knock on wood, those guys are pretty much like taking like every rep together in terms of Ryman, Nelson, Kelly, Fries. And then Braden Smith. Running back is a question mark that we don't want it to be. And given the fact that it was an excused absence for JT today and cited by Shane Steichen, it was for rehab purposes. Even if, you know, this comes to a, hey, listen, I may not be happy, but I'm going to play here. The, we are not going to trade you and we're not going to extend you now. Everybody, even they don't like it, agrees to say, all right, shake hands. We'll, we'll work together for this year. We'll figure it out from there. If you're off-site rehabbing an ankle and we're 33 days away from, this, from the first game of the season, I mean, there's a chance that this is not about a holdout. This is not about being upset about your contract but not wanting to play here. This is a chance that you're not healthy at the running back position. But even in terms of like the wide receiver, and people ask, when you're at training camp, what is it that you're doing? 
for my specific job of preparing to do the games on on television for the preseason, of doing the post-game show for the team, kind of a, a couple of disparate things there. But what I'm really doing is seeing who's running with the ones, who's playing with the twos. What is the depth chart like as it unfolds in front of me, knowing that, hey, I got to prep for kind of like, say, guys one through 90, but I want to see who is playing with who. And so one of the things that we're, and, and I'm sure we'll have a graphic about this that we'll talk about at some point in time during the preseason, but in terms of position battles, I'm not sure how many position battle battles there are going to be. Again, in a perfect world, I kind of know what our 22 is going to look like. Are all of them going to get to the starting gate? That, that, that might be the problem, as evidenced by the number of guys that you may not be seeing on Saturday because of what are mostly, not all, but mostly as of now, minor injuries. We'll get back to the Colts. We'll get back to the conference realignment conversation, and we'll get back to um, even a little broadcasting 101 if time allows. But Kyle Kirkwood was the fastest through 80 circuits or something like that on the streets of Nashville on Sunday. And he'll join us next segment, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Greg Rextraw, Jimmy Cook with you between now and three here on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. You might be surprised to learn this. The Colts have been the dominant topic of conversation so far. Mike Chappell will offer his insight and wisdom onto the subject. Coming up to start the next hour of the show, we largely have open segments after this one. Kyle Kirkwood scheduled to join us coming up in just a matter of moments. In fact, he is literally calling in as we speak. Kurt Cavan during the 2 o'clock hour as well. So again, you want to keep the Colts conversation going? That's fine. Right now, best to do is hit me up on Twitter, at Greg Ray extra or x or whatever it's called and then email the show to greg at 107 thefancom you want to join from a phone standpoint give us about 10 to 15 minutes because the next few minutes are going to be dedicated to a young man that in his second year in the indycar series is now a two time winner we are thrilled to be joined the driver of the number 27 machine for andretti autosport it is kyle kirkwood kyle congratulations on a great day on sunday how you feeling a couple of days after the fact really good really good yeah thanks for having me on all right we and, and i think we have long established the 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 athletic nature of what it is you do and the amount of training but you know you're running early Sunday afternoon, temperatures in the low 90s. They've got, you know, devices now to try to get more into that safer cockpit that you guys now have. Even though you're later to win the race, just how tired are you after two hours around the streets of Nashville? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's draining, no doubt. I mean, it was, it was 90 degrees out, but the humidity was like in the 60 or 70% range. So it felt like over a hundred and, and within the cockpit of the cars, we, we, you could pretty much add 20 or 30 degrees to ambient on top of that. Granted, we do have a cool suit that we run um, and they made it mandatory to have a, a duct on the top to help airflow get into the cockpit, but it's still extremely hot. And there, there's even a point like in the race, I was asking if my cool suit was even on. Um, <laughs> so it, it gets, it gets really, really hot uh, regardless of what we do because of the aero screen mostly. But, um, it was manageable. I mean, it's the reason why we trained so much to to 
or for those situations. So it was all right. All right. So clearly, uh, you're pretty good at street course racing, having won now at, at both Long Beach as as well as at Nashville. Clearly, that team that tends to you know tell me that you enjoy doing it. But of the different type of circuits that you run in this IndyCar series, that's part of what makes the series great. Not every week is the same. What is it that seems to lead you to be a, a good street course racer at this point? Um, you know, it's, a little bit is uh, well, not not to toot my own horn too much, but it's, a little bit is is I feel like it's my adaptability of of new track specifically. You know, and and showing up to a street course, even though it's a course that's been around for a couple of years now, things still tend to change. Asphalt changes. There's new bumps. Uh, there's new grip levels and. The track's always kind of evolving as as you get through runs, um, so you have to be very adaptable. And I feel like that that's one of my strong suits. Um, and you know, Andretti Autosport, the biggest reason is that Andretti Autosport produces a phenomenal street course car. Um, every and you've seen that for the past few years, you know. And all this year, we've been pretty much a, a race winning contender at every street course that we've gone to. It's just uh, we, we've only got two of them. I feel like it, it probably should have been more, if I'm being honest. And there's also a guy that, that is like viewed as like a wizard uh, that was on your pit box uh, on Sunday that didn't hurt either. Um, the role that Brian Herta plays to get you from A to B faster than everybody else, what was his influence like on Sunday? I mean, Brian's been a, been a miracle to, to the 27 career. I think he's probably the best in, in the paddock when it comes to calling strategy and, and knowing when to do things on the fly. Like, for instance, we in the middle of the race, we actually courted a right front tire and we were – in a situation that if we would have went a lap longer, uh, who knows if I would have made it around the next lap. So, and a split says, uh, second decision to make me pit. Um, we got, we noticed that it was corded once we we're able to stop. You can't really see it when you're, when you're driving, obviously. Um, and fortunate enough, we got those tires off, went back out and we were able to, uh, finish off the race strong. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, it's things like that, that, that he does a really good job, job at, right. He reads the situations really well. He understood the strategy. He understood that we could overcut Roman. He understood that we wouldn't get overcut by Scott at one point. So it, it's all these little things that he does super, super well that always puts me in a good position, you know, because all the passes that I really made in the race were, were due to strategy, whether it was uh, starting on the primary tires versus the other guys that were on the alternates. We passed a lot of guys due to that. And then we pass a lot of guys in, in, in the pit strategy. So, um, yeah, it's it's a, a lot of it's due to him. One final thing about Nashville, we'll kind of move forward to this weekend and kind of big picture issues. Kyle Kirk would kind of join us on the Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Obviously, the date has to move in one standpoint because of it being an Olympic summer next year. But you're going to close the season on the streets of Nashville with a slightly different course next year. Your thoughts about the impending changes for that circuit in 2024? You know, I mean, I'm I'm excited for it. I think it's really cool that that they're moving the event, uh, the the finale to Nashville. I mean, it's a great city for us. I mean, there's so many other things that are involved with with the race uh, due to it being in Nashville, and the fact that they've moved it now to actual proper downtown, um, where we go down Broadway, it's just amazing. You know, the the track itself, looking at a map, it looks pretty simple. Um, and it doesn't seem like that exciting if you look just straight at a track map, but just due to the fact that it's on Broadway, it's going to open up a lot of the areas that have been too tight for Nashville, to be honest, like that right now, the four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, section that we have there, you can't, you can't really race through there, you know, it's it's a bit too tight. So with the new layout that they're coming out with, 
every single corner that that we go into will be a passing opportunity, which I think will create much better racing, uh, reduce the crashes, um, be more visible for fans and people that want to be downtown and still want to watch the race. Um, there's a lot of positives that, that go into it. So I'm, I'm very excited and it proceeded well from the paddock. Obviously, it's 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 not exactly a, a lot, large distance from Nashville to Indianapolis, but it is a quick turnaround to go from running on Sunday afternoon to an early Saturday afternoon race. What is this week like for you and everybody in the shop, knowing you're racing in less than seven days again? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm actually in the shop right now. We were we were just talking about it. We we're talking about some simulator stuff that uh, that we did a couple weeks back in preparation for this weekend. So, I mean, as soon as the race is done, we switch gears. We're ready for the next race and. And that's it's it's always like that. It's a constant revolving circle of that. Even at the end of the season, you finish up at Laguna or next year, like Nashville. Um, you go into a couple of days later, you might have a couple of days off, but you're instantly focused on on the next season and what we can do to better ourselves because you know everyone's going to do that. So um, so yeah, it, it, we've already switched in into that mode. We're, we're done celebrating we're, we're getting ready geared up for ndgp this coming weekend on saturday obviously you spend like a month in indianapolis uh you know in, in may and, and running both the oval and the road course the 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 races are three months removed in terms of road course one to road course two just how similar or dissimilar is running this track in the middle of august versus running it in the middle of may uh, man, that's that's uh, that's a question we're trying to answer. So. <laughs> um, you never really know with with, uh, with Andy, to be honest. You know, a lot a lot of people. It's kind of cliche, but everyone always says the track kind of pick, picks its winner. You sure. know, and and that that's that's true around the speedway, but it's also true around the GP as well because the, that track changes too. Like for instance, last year for Andretti Autosport they were super, super fast in the second race. But if you look back at the first race results, you're like, well, kind of where were they um, in comparison to the second race? And and I feel like that was kind of how it was earlier this year where we we really just didn't have the pace that they had last year in the second race. So um, we're hoping that it, it chooses us this year because uh, – Right now, I, th- I think we we were looking for a little pace earlier this year, but um, hopefully, hopefully we found it, and hopefully the track helps us out too. Because it's kind of it seems like what happens, it kind of chooses you. Uh, again, Kyle Kirkwood won this weekend in Nashville. IndyCar, of course, does uh, Indy GP2, part of the uh, Brickyard Weekend in conjunction with NASCAR. Joining us here, 93.5 and, and, and 107.5, the fan. And your background, like so many else, uh, so many other guys that are in the series, you know, coming up through the ladder system, having won your way to this point. You know, watching the NASCAR guys, and obviously your week's kind of front-loaded. You're done by Saturday afternoon. Do you hang around and, and watch, you know, the, the Saturday afternoon race, the cup race on Sunday? Do you intermingle that much with the NASCAR guys? Do you get to kind of be a fan after your race is done on Saturday? What what does your weekend look like after the race? Yeah, it's cool. We, I mean, we, we definitely get to become fans, you know. I mean, a- any racing driver, and, and if you ask pretty much anyone in IndyCar and NASCAR, you know, our, our weekends are so busy that we don't really get a lot of time to go talk to each other. Um, I feel like this is the one weekend that it's a, it's a little bit more spread out, right? So we actually do get a, a little bit of time due to just NASCAR and IndyCar just running in conjunction, right? Um, so it, it's nice, and, you know, I mean, uh, us drivers have a lot of similarities, but most of the time you're not conversating with many drivers uh, just because you're usually it's only your competition that that's at the track with you. So it's cool that you get you get the NASCAR guys out there because 
you can talk about the differences and stuff and, and be very open with them and not feel like they're competition because they actually aren't competition to you. So um, it, it's a fun event for us, and, and it's cool to have both. I think both series to to the top series here in the U S or the two top series in, in the U S here racing in one weekend. Do you know many guys in terms of the NASCAR garages, many guys you kind of keep in touch with, or are they all kind of strangers in a foreign series to you? Um, you know, I, I know, I know a handful of them. Um, I wouldn't say I, I really keep in touch that sure. often, you know, I mean, there's, there's obvious a few text messages whenever a couple of the guys do well over there and, and vice versa. Um, but, um, no, I mean, it's, it's always good to see a couple of the guys that, that have been around and, um, there's a few drivers that have come up, um, around the same time that I have that went on the NASCAR route versus the open wheel route. So, um, it'll be good to see them. They're, they're people you don't get to see very often. Can you believe that after, as of about Saturday afternoon at three or four o'clock, you have all of three races left to go in this season? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's wild. Um, this year has gone, it's flown by, um, for me. And uh, in, in a good way, in a good way, you know, like whatever things are going by fast, usually you're having pretty fun. So I, I've had a fun year. Um, I'm excited to close out these last four races. It seems like we got a little momentum behind us. So um, I'm, I'm excited for it. It's the nature of the series. Again, we all understand why you're trying to avoid competing with the National Football League on Sundays. But just how as a driver, how, and I know you try to get in, in simulators, test rides, maybe, maybe, you know, 24 hours a Daytona, you know, stuff like that. But you're going to go from basically the second Sunday in September to the first Sunday in March without being in your primary ride or, or, or competing in a race. What is that feeling like as a driver? Um, it's a bit strange, you know, especially when you get in for the first time after a three or four month break. But um, I mean, my off season looks like a bunch of sim days and, and I, I do all the sports car or sports car endurance races, I should say. Um, during the season, you, usually I do that with, with Bastard Sullivan, and I assume that that will be the case again next year. Um, so, I mean, that that looks like October, Petit Le Mans. Uh, then you're getting geared up for Daytona, and then you have uh, Sebring, which is which is in in March as well. So, I mean, uh, I still stay active. We still do a lot of work in the off season. We still we still go testing. Um, we got the new hybrid unit coming out, so that that means a lot more driving for yep. for some of us in IndyCar. So um, that's exciting. You know, that will keep us more active, especially in in the current car that we race in. So, um, so uh, yeah, the, the off season will still be pretty busy for me. All right, before we let you go, because I know you're busy, you're in the shop. Some more questions. We'll let you kind of get back to work and get ready for Saturday. If I had told you beginning of March, before the season started, that heading to the last month of the year, you'd be in the top ten in points and you would have won twice. Your reaction would have been what? Uh, you know, I, w- I would have been super happy for that, but I, I would have been like, "All right, wh- where is the top ten? <laughs> like, uh, not, <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of weird. It's like there's there's a handful of drivers I think that are ahead of me that that haven't won a race, and you're just like, man, what, what do we need to do to to close the gap on some of the other races? You know, like what happened at the other ones? <laughs> not, <laughs> I would I wouldn't believe you if you told me I slid about a quarter mile on my lid at the 500 true um, i would think that that was pretty wild <laughs> so i mean yeah i mean it's it's been a good year it's two wins are awesome uh ninth place in the championship isn't the the spot you exactly want to be but it's it's okay for my second year i would say all right um, so you, you just kyle just worked your way to another question so i appreciate you bringing that up um rarely do we get to look at the eyes of a driver because of having that visor Obviously, yours flips up, and I'll always remember how wide yours were kind of taking all of that in. So as you are watching yourself after the fact, 
what's going through your mind? Uh, man, um, so, I mean, it, and I'll tell you my story from, from kind of the situation, in the situation, right? So, um, obviously, it's closing stages of the race. We're, we're fighting for the win, really. I mean, coming into the last pit stop, I'm nearly past Erickson, um, which would have been for, for the outright lead um in that situation so um yeah we were right there and we, we had a little bit of a slow pit stop so we, we cycled back into like the seventh eighth ninth range um but we were still coming forward we were still passing cars we we're still really fast and um felix rosenquist obviously got up into the wall after getting passed by new garden um and from from my point of view i just see him brush the wall i see him go low so i just assumed he went low just knowing that his car was damaged and he was just going to the transition lane. What I didn't know at the time was that he was out of control. Like he, he had zero control of his car because from, from where my point of view was, it looked like he was in control. And then all of a sudden his tire opens up, pulls him around the racetrack, spins. Um, I actually tried to accelerate to get by him on the top side because I knew that there was no way I was going low from the position that I was in. So I tried to accelerate. And as I'm accelerating, I'm trying to clear him, but I have Santino Ferrucci also slowing up in front of me because the caution had already came out. Yep. Um, so I'm now trying to slow down to not hit him, and then I barely touch Felix. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm in the wall. I felt myself go around backwards and then hit. From there on out, I didn't, I didn't know where I was. I didn't know that the car flipped. Um, you kind of lose the, it's weird. You, 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 as the first time I've ever felt disoriented inside a race mm. car where you don't know where you are. And it was due to me being upside down up against the wall where it's pitch black. So instinctually, I actually opened my visor because okay. I, and, and the way that the races are, you have so much vibration and stuff that you actually moving upside down in the, in the pitch dark doesn't feel much different than just normal driving. So um, I didn't know if I was still moving or if I was stopped or where I was. It was just dark. And so it was a very eerie uh, sensation. That's why you could see my eyes were so bright and my eyes hadn't adjusted to the light yet. And then all of a sudden I come to a stop and then I realize, okay, yeah, I was definitely sliding. I'm upside down. I'm looking at asphalt right above me. <laughs> and at that point, I see smoke pouring into the cockpit, and I shut my visor. And at that point, I was like, I was like, okay, I, if this thing lights on fire for some reason, I'm stuck in it, and I just need to have everything as much closed off as possible. Um, so that was my mentality. But safety crew got to me within seven or eight seconds of, of me actually stopping. So they did a phenomenal job, got me over, got me out of there quick, and fortunately, I was unscathed. You recounted that with the amazing detail either of a driver or a play-by-play guy, one of the two, uh, because that was uh, pretty well done uh, describing how, how all of that played out. Congratulations, man, on, on a wonderful season, and I certainly hope Saturday is more like this past Sunday than your last experience at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Congrats on a great uh, second year, buddy. Thanks for the time today. We really appreciate it. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. You got it. Kyle Kirkwood, again. Fantastic conversation with him. Uh, the number 27 car of the Andretti Autosport Stable. Kind enough to join us here on the Fan Midday Show. Tell you what, let's go ahead and go to break early. That way we'll kind of come back and fully reset. You want to talk a little IndyCar? We can do that with me here with you. But we can also resume our, our training camp conversation Big Ten, not just Big Ten, it's everything in terms of college sports realignment. And I've been teasing up, um, you've probably seen the clip by now 
and I will try to give you the experience of someone that has broadcast occasionally at that level everything that goes into it. Talk about whatever in the world's happening with the Baltimore Orioles. When it's been a good year for the team that Jake Quarry likes to call cute fella, it was far from a cute look that has kind of um, came out over the course of the last few days on that subject. We'll talk about that as well. 93.5, The Fan. Great choice on the music to come back there, by the way. Well done, Mr. Cook. Greg Rakestraw with you until 3 o'clock. Then JMB takes over on 93.5. And 107.5, the fan, Kyle Kirkwood, was fantastic. I have officially uh, lobbied for him to be the uh, the guest, the midday representative uh, on instant replay coming up at 6 o'clock. Whether that's the case or not, you can always go back and listen to that anytime at 107.5thefan.com on the podcast page. Um, Colts conversation has been dominant up until that segment of the program. Uh, We can resume those conversations now. Uh, I talked briefly about conference realignment and the continued musical chairs. The one thing that I would add into the mix is that if you expect this to stop anytime soon, you're probably going to be disappointed. And I, I kind of alluded to this point that was that was made by again another colleague of mine here in Jake Query through what he does with Derek Schultz on ISC Sports Network when we produce that program every Monday, um, and, and I'm sure he was I'm sure he's talked about it on the morning show, um, but I reference it from that specific show a because I worked there and b um, just because I, it's it's seared into my brain, and that is just because you have a seat at the table now doesn't always mean that is going to be the case. At some point in time, the merger from, or maybe merge is the right word, the rating of a conference to go from five conferences to four with the demise of the Pac-12 clearly upon us, um... Just because you've got a seat at the table now doesn't always mean you'll have one. And again, I will point to Jimmy's and mine shared fandom of soccer. And I rattled off, hey, this is what it's going to look like. This league is the Bundesliga. This league is the Premier League. This league is La Liga. You know what a bunch of those teams tried to do a couple of three years ago and people revolted? They tried to create their own league. They tried to have the top four or five teams from this group and the top four or five teams from that group and the top couple of teams over here. And they tried to have their own super league. Those that do not learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. So just because your team has a seat at the adults' table now, doesn't mean they can't be asked to go and sit at the kids' table at some point in time. Because once you've raided one league, maybe you go and raid the ACC whenever they figure out their media deal down the road. Maybe you go and raid the Big 12 
because the SEC money and the Big Ten money are still better than the Big 12 money, which was better than the Pac-12 money. And notice the common literal currency that I'm referencing there. But at some point in time, the, again, in football, Indiana's, Purdue's, Rutgers, Vanderbilt's, Missouri's, Northwestern's, you get where I'm going with this. The programs that have historically struggled in the sport that matters, and Purdue fans are yelling at me, yes, I know that your recent track record has been far better than that of Indiana University. I I acknowledge that. But just because you are there now doesn't mean you are going to be there in perpetuity. The other thing that I would say is this on the college realignment front, and this is where I'll open it up to your telephone calls. At 317-239-1070, tweets at Greg Rakestraw, your exes, I suppose, uh, or email the show, greg at 1070thefan.com. Is that what I'm telling you in terms of this being about money, it's not exactly breaking news. You figured that out by now. And that's been the case for a long, long time and longer than anybody would actually care to admit. It's just we seem to uh, no longer be as shy in terms of admitting that it's about the money at this level of college athletics. But what is new or could be new is that there is a lot of um, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. How could they be doing this to college athletics? What about the poor kids? And there's there's legitimacy in terms of travel and class time missed, and that's those are all legitimate concerns. I don't think people that run the show right now have those concerns, but those are legitimate. But when it comes to the average fan, which is the one that pays the freight for all of this. Yeah, the television networks are, are, are paying the bill for this. But in turn, the television networks make their money off of you, the consumer. And so where you, the fan of said state university or said school that is in what was a power five conference now will be a power four conference. Maybe at some point it'll be power three, power two, whatever the case may be. But the question that I really wanted to dive into on this show today on this particular topic is, are you as a fan less likely to go to a game? Are you as a fan less likely to watch a game? Are you less likely to donate to said university? Are you less likely to buy gear supporting your favorite team because that truly is where the rubber is going to meet the road on this again there can be all kind of um you know commiserations of this is the last year of college sports as we know it and there's truth to that there's absolute truth to that because not this year but next year ucla usc washington oregon 
will be a conference opponent potentially of Penn State, of Maryland, of Rutgers, of Ohio State, Indiana, Purdue, et cetera. I'm rattling off teams that are located in the Eastern time zone. Teams from three time zones away. And again, football is one thing. You're flying on a football Friday. You're flying back after the game on Saturday. Football, it's you're just adding a couple hours in both directions. It's the other sport that it it's a it's a different ask that you are making. But what the guess is, is that with a Big Ten window on one channel at noon, a Big Ten window in one channel at 3.30, a Big Ten window on another channel at 7, and now with the addition of especially having four different television markets in the Pacific time zone, in theory, two of those teams will be playing a road game on a given Saturday, but two of them are going to be at home. You know what time their kickoffs are going to be? 10.30 Eastern time. That way you have not one, not two, not three, but four television windows in which to play your games, in which for you as a consumer to do just that, to consume more Big Ten football, to watch more advertising. That's what it comes down to. So to me... The ultimate question in all of this is, are you more or less likely as a college sports fan at the major college level? Are you of the, hey, this is cool, man. My team's going to play in the Rose Bowl like every four years. For some schools, they've waited since like 1967 to play in the Rose Bowl. Now you get a chance to play in Los Angeles on a regular basis. We're going to go, we're going to play at USC, man. This is awesome. I got to see Michael Penix now play back in the Big Ten. Now he's playing for Washington. I realize by the time that that he, you know, they joined the league, he'll be in the National Football League. I get that. But, man, them cool Oregon. I remember when Jerry Leonardo took a team and beat Oregon back in 02 or 03 or whatever it was. I was, I was around for that. That will be a conference win if that happens for the Hoosiers or for the Boilermakers. Um, but, again, you get my point. Because it's one thing to say, I can't believe what they're doing with college sports. But if you're going to go still donate your money to said school, and if you're going to go still buy those season tickets at that school, or maybe because you'll see different opponents, you're more likely to even go. Or now, Let's face it, maybe you weren't all gung-ho about going to Iowa City and watching the watching your team play against the Hawkeyes. But your team's playing in Seattle. If you, and if you have not seen, I think it's Husky Stadium is what it's called. Man, the layout of that campus in Seattle is gorgeous. The Rose Bowl speaks for itself. We've all had that driven into our brains for years. It's what New Year's Day, it's what you do. You look at how good the folks have it in Pasadena. It's never that warm where you live. So are you going to go make that trip? Because, I mean, you can. You have the right to be a hypocrite. But if you're amongst the group of, I can't believe what they're doing to college football. But yet you're going to spend more money and watch more games. and You're proving them right is what you're doing. 
And listen, I'm not sitting here trying to tell you that you shouldn't support that those schools. You shouldn't support that level of football. I'm just saying, don't bitch about it if you're going to. That's what the point that I am trying to get across. So that's the other thing I wanted to address from the college realignment standpoint. Now let me get to the third and final topic that I, I knew I was going to get to at some point in time today now that we are 90 minutes into the show. And that is this story that I started to see on my Twitter feed uh, yesterday uh, from the folks at Awful Announcing. And while I follow Awful Announcing, it is one of my goals in life, you know, to actually not be on Awful Announcing. In other words, you know, did I avoid saying something stupid? Was there like something in my teeth when they showed like a picture of me, you know, doing the stand-up or the halftime interview, etc.? But I, I, I didn't pay it much attention but there kept being so much more internet kind of chatter about it. And now it's, 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 it's other like broadcast crews are, are, are picking up on this. There's a young man named Kevin Brown, and I, I do not watch enough baseball to be able to kind of give you chapter and verse. Like I don't have the extra innings package at my house. It's one of the joys of like where I live now. I get most Reds games. I know that's Sadak that does those. I now get Marquee Sports Network. I know it's Boog Shami that does those. I know Jason Minetti does the White Sox games. Um, I know who has done the Cardinal games in the past. It's like I know like the regional broadcast crews. I can't sit here and tell you that I know, you know, every announcer of every team from a television standpoint. But his name is Kevin Brown. And after I see him, I go, A, it looks like he's 13. And B, I, I, I remember seeing him doing like some college basketball on ESPN. Seems like a solid announcer. Don't know him. I'm sure I've got mutual connections to him. But they're apparently, coming from the Baltimore Orioles, he got suspended for something that he said in the open of the broadcast. And basically what he was doing was stating a fact. And this dated back to a couple of weeks ago, July 23rd, and that the Orioles had not won any of their last 16 series playing against the Tampa Bay Rays. And that they had already uh, earned at least a split of the series. I guess it was a four-game set going into the fourth and final game of the series. That he that that worst case scenario, they at least earned a split of the series and that they had won as many games in that building this year as they had in the previous three seasons combined. Now, there was I, I went back and 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 listened to the clip. And Jim, if you if you can find it, feel free to, to play it. If you've got it ready, fire away. I heard it on another show that I was listening to earlier today. Because I, I kept seeing that go by us. I'm like, that really can't be the reason that he got suspended for what was for that. And, and I'll kind of go into more reasoning behind the scenes as to are you really putting this on the announcer? But that this story has been out now for about 24 hours. And there's been no other plausible explanation that has been given to it. Do you have it ready? Fire away, my friend. 
for the Orioles. Brandon Hyde has felt like this has been maybe the toughest ballpark to play in, but the Orioles have a chance to do something special today. They've already clinched at least a split in the series, winning two of the first three, and they could pick up a series win behind Tyler Wells today. It's been a minute. The Orioles split a two-gamer with the Rays in June. They had lost their last 15 series here at Tropicana Field. You have to go back to when our now colleague Brad Brock picked up the win in the series finale June 25th, 2017, the last time the Orioles won a series here at St. Pete. Already got three and two of the Trop this year after winning three of 18. The previous three years combined. It is a stark difference, Ben, and it is not a bad Rays team. It's not like all of a sudden the no. Rays uh, became slouches in the American League East. They've led this division every day, but now two, and the Orioles once again are back alone in first place. That's from Masson. That's from the Orioles' home broadcaster. That can't be it, right? That can't be it. I mean, it's not like he jumped in there and said, well, Here's the results, and obviously because this team has sucked something god-awful for the last six years. That you would jump in and say, hey, probably not how you want to handle it. You know, you get in trouble during broadcasts when you say something that, you know, when, when you swear, something that's, you know, racially charged, when you start dropping slurs because you don't think you're on the air. And then Nick Castellanos homers, you know, deep to left field. You, you get the reference that I'm making there. That's when you get in trouble during broadcasts. Not when you state things that are, I don't know, actual facts. And here's the kicker, okay? And this is where my knowledge of the industry, and again, doing this occasionally at a level, like this announcer is doing, and I get to do that this coming weekend, all right? In radio, the radio voice of the team, he is basically the producer and director of the broadcast, okay? Everything that you say is of your choice because you are the one that is setting the picture, all right? You are describing all the action. You are the wordsmith, all right? When you are the television play-by-play guy, it's not like people are getting into your ear and telling you what to say, but you are working in conjunction with a full staff. And I realize this is a non-visual medium, so you're only hearing the audio, but there was a graphic that went along with this. In other words, there this was off the open of the broadcast, I would assume, Um, I don't think they'd have something that elongated coming out of a break, but this was something that there was a pre-production meeting and the graphics department built a graphic to illustrate just how much of a struggle the Orioles had had with this specific team over the course of the last six years. All of those years, the Orioles did not make the playoffs. So, in other words, this is not something that just the play-by-play guy said, you know what, we should talk about. And even if you had a pre-production meeting where the play-by-play guy brings it up, the producer, the director, the graphics department all have to sign off on doing something like that. So, like, for example, as I am in 
am I, as I am at Colts practice this morning, I sneak away for about 15 minutes at 10 o'clock. Why do I do that? Because I am on an Indy 11, a Indy 11 pre-production call for tomorrow night's broadcast against the Birmingham Legion. And you know what, what was a big topic of that conversation? How are we going to handle the open of the show? That's kind of the thing that you can script during the game. Everything else, you're reacting to what is happening in front of you. Literally, as I'm doing this show, I am part of an email chain that is saying, hey, when are we going to have our pre-production meeting for the Colts game in Buffalo? By the way, folks, don't bother me on Friday night. That's where I'm having the pre-production meeting. So we can actually script out, hey, listen, here's the storylines that we are going to set to open the broadcast before kickoff. Here are the things that we will work in during the course of the game. All these graphics are pre-built. It's a matter of when does the game action actually kind of work you into that. So the fact that you would suspend someone for something that is so mundane, bland, and factual is beyond me. How you would potentially think it's the play-by-play guy's fault when literally there's a graphic that supports this. Like the producer and director were a part of this. It can't, I mean, seriously, common sense has to kick in at some point. It can't be that, right? I keep waiting for that something else in the last 24 hours to pop up, and it seemingly never does. I love the fact that Gary Cohen, who is the play-by-play guy for the Mets, jumped on SNY and ripped the Orioles a new one on the broadcast last night. I love that Michael Kay, who obviously goes back and forth between Yankees television, some ESPN stuff, doing a radio show, and I don't remember, I don't remember if it was on the Yankees broadcast or whether it was in talk show form, he shredded him. I know Jason Benetti has taken to Twitter to talk about this as well. And I also will share this with you too. I am so thankful that I work for the organizations in which I do. And obviously the most direct comparison as to what I do to what this scenario is, is the fact that I have worked with the Indianapolis Colts now for 12 years. I have done the post-game radio show for 11 years. Jimmy, you want to know how many times, not just that I have... I haven't been suspended for anything that I have said or done, which frankly means I'm due. I'll do something stupid at some point in time down the line. You know how many times I have been called into the office because of something that I said or I felt they felt was too critical of the team? You want to guess between 2012 and today how many times that's happened? Zippity-doo-dah. 0.0. Now, I'll be the first to admit I'm probably lucky I didn't have to do the show during the Bill Polian era, that my first year began after Bill had left the franchise. Maybe our conversations would be handled a little bit differently. But in fact, early in my tenure, I was told, hey, it's okay if you want to be a little more critical. Today's reason I'm happy that I have worked with the Indianapolis Colts for the better part of the last decade. I'll even share one more thing with you. The last time that I did this show was last Wednesday, and I won't reference who sent me a note. Jimmy knows who it is. But one of the people that I report to with the Indianapolis Colts, after I had a 25-minute monologue about Jonathan Taylor, I got a text immediately after the segment, and he goes, nice work. So it tells me I'm working for a good 
group of people. I knew that already. But it's nice to have that reinforcement. So I knew I'd get to that at some point in time. I see phone lines are lighting up. Let's get to a break. You know the deal, okay? I really have like two open segments the rest of the show. The next one and the last one during the 2 o'clock hour. So if it's Colts, if it's college realignment, if it's stupidity in Baltimore, all those subjects are open to you now. 317-239-1070 at Greg. Greg Straw, Greg at 1070thefan.com. We're working a couple of quick telephone calls before... The Dean, Mike Chappell, joins us at 2 o'clock. His longtime colleague from the Annapolis Star these days, IndyCar.com, and a real estate deal close to you, Kirk Cabin. But Jeff and Mitchell, and if time allows, I'll get one more call in as well. Hello, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for taking my call, guys. Um, just real quick proposal on how to fix the future uh, scheduling conflicts for conference realignment. Yep. Why don't they do ProRel? So there's a Big 10A, a Big 10B, <laughs> SEC, A, SEC, B. That was a full round robin in basketball, and then you can only for the college football playoff playoff if you're in the top division. I I, I I like as a soccer guy the idea of pro rel. If it's not going to happen yet in American soccer, I doubt it's going to come back to, uh, to to college football. But Jeff, I like where your head's at. And then one quick other thing, Greg. Uh, I just wanted to complain about Indy Eleven. I'm I'm a season ticket holder. We have one win at home and twelve home matches. Um, hearing from Lowry post game, and I know you have to tread lightly because you work for the club, with the club. But um, I'm, when's he going to take responsibility? I mean, he has these players. I know Stramlaw has a has a uh, you know a voice in it as well. But you know, we're going to sure hear this in the playoffs. So when when are the when's the tide going to change? And thanks all. Hey, nothing. Listen, Jeff. Thanks for the telephone call. I appreciate it. And again, it's got to be better. Um, and much as the last conversation we just had. You were stating some facts in terms of one home win. Um, I'll tell you this. I, I thought the way they played in the first half was tremendous. They just didn't finish. And and that has been kind of a constant theme throughout the course of this season. You've got to finish better. There are nights when, and again, the, the result at Charleston has been an asterisk there. You go a man up 20 seconds in. You get a penalty to start the match. That uh, that kind of tilts that one. But the one at Pittsburgh, that is as good of a win as any team has had this year in our league. Then you lose the next two matches, um, albeit two playoff teams. You lose the next two matches out of the gate. Hopefully we see it turn. Uh, I don't think they're far away. But, Jeff, they're also running out of time. And so, simply put, Jeff, has the product been good enough this year consistently? No, Jeff, it has not. And I'm not going to disagree with you on that front. Mitchell is up next at 317-239-1070. Hello, Mitchell. Hey, Greg, what's going on, man? Big fan of yours. Thank you. I appreciate that. Hey, two quick things. One with the realignment with football that we were talking about earlier. Um, I understand what you're saying. I get it. Um, KB and uh, um, Jake were talking about this morning and they brought up a good point of where now it's just all money driven and everything like that because of the conferences and their building complex are more expensive and everything. You got to think with that happening in the money situation that Notre Dame's got to join somewhere down the road or the Big Ten's going to be begging Notre Dame because of the NBC contracts and all that stuff. Um, I don't know. I just think that Notre Dame's market's too big to not go in and it's going to make harder for independent and less conferences to make the playoffs down the road. Um, and then second, lifelong Baltimore fan, the announcer thing, you got to think that there's more to it than right. just like what he said. There's got to be something behind the scenes. Like he flipped the guy's mom off. He got <laughs> the owner, something like that. Right. Because, it doesn't make because sense, because right? Doesn't make right. sense at all. 
reporters that I follow from the Orioles on Twitter, like inside guys now, some of them aren't always that credible, but a lot of them said there's more behind the scenes than what everybody else is saying. So I'll hang up. Thanks, Craig. I love what you do with the Colts, man. I'll talk to you later. Thank you, Mitch. I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, in, in terms of college football, let me, let me talk about the, the, the Notre Dame side of things first. Um, Notre Dame will remain independent until they no longer financially can remain independent. As simple as that. Um, you got to remember that the new AD that is replacing the retiring Jack Swarbrick at Notre Dame, and forgive me, Notre Dame is not on my beat the way that they used to be, but he has a television executive background. Okay, that's that shouldn't be a surprise. But as long as Notre Dame football is going to get a significant contract from NBC, and if I'm a Notre Dame fan, frankly, you should be thrilled that NBC has decided, even without having NBC Sports Network, with just NBC USA and Peacock, um, that Notre Dame now will be, don't treat the fact that you're going to be leading into a Big Ten game of the week as some sort of like junior varsity issue. No, no, no. The network is continuing to invest in college football. You're no longer kind of out there on an island where you're all the college football that they do. College football continues to be an economic driver for television network deals. Notre Dame will be independent as long as NBC allows them to be independent. And as soon as that comes to an end, they will walk into the Big Ten offices and say, we're ready. And whoever the Big Ten commissioner will be is like, we have been waiting for you for so long. It's the easiest negotiation ever. They'll be independent as long as NBC allows them to be independent. Your tweets, your exes. I know if even if your exes live in Texas, you can send them to me at Greg Rakestraw. Again, phone lines, but I'll handle the heavy lifting for the next couple of segments. Mike Chappell, Kurt Cavan, podcast available, Kyle Kirkwood. He was fantastic at 1075thefan.com. More in a moment, 93.5, 1075thefan. Again, quality on the Rejoin Music by you. I was having this conversation yesterday. I've now been a serious XM subscriber for about 14 years. Don't worry, 107.5 The Fan is in the first row of presets. So I'm never too far away from it. But there's a there's a couple of artists that I have a little bit more of a sense of appreciation for. And Bob Seger and this song would be absolutely one of them. Is it Turn the Page? No. But it's a close second of the songs I celebrate from his catalog. Perhaps Mike Chappell feels the same who joins us now. It's good to catch up with you at practice, as, as we always tend to do. Your thoughts about what you've seen these first couple of weeks in Grand Park, my friend? Well, it, it's, it's, it's a three-legged stool. It's Anthony Richardson, it's Jonathan Taylor, and it's uh, Shaq Leonard. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, those three, I mean, some – you know, some media outlets have more people covering more things and they can give more in-depth about this, that, and the other. But, you know, when you're doing it kind of solo like I and you just you focus on the larger picture. And, you know, aside from the offensive line, if it doesn't work, nothing works. The three things I mentioned are, are where the interest is. And today, it's really funny. Today, this is what we're, we're used to. First, it was reading Jonathan Taylor's body language. 
Maybe he's got the hoodie pulled up and he's got a scowl and he's not interacting. Well, then he's interacting a little bit and now he's not there. And when he's not there, it just, it's, it's news. It's either newsworthy or noteworthy, however you want to do it. And, you know, Shane Steichen, as is always the case, doesn't want to talk about it. Wants nothing to do with talking about injuries, Jonathan Taylor, because it's, it's, he, he's, he's like, so many head coaches, when guys aren't there, they're not his. They're not his. You know, worry sort of. I mean, he, he's worried about, it, of course, but he worries about the, you know, the ninety or the eighty-eight guys who are out there because that's what you have to do. But when we, you know, you don't see Taylor, and then you know the first question and the first I don't know five or six questions were on JT, and he 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 gave what. He gave you, you know, and if you read the transcript, it was, you know, not a lot. He didn't move the needle. He didn't. And so, you know, he's rehabbing. Um, and one thing I asked him, was, is it the same ankle that we dealt with, that he dealt with last year? Now he's got an ankle. Well, <laughs> you know, everything you hear is the, the, the less information you get, the more speculation there is. And that's not always a good thing. So on that fr- – go ahead, Chappie. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. You go, you go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. On the speculation front then, as as we've had this discussion now for the last couple of weeks since it became evident that JT was not happy, um, I, I keep coming back to it, and, and, the, and the most direct comparisons to me are Shaq Leonard and Braden Smith because they were guys that were extended before their fourth season. What was the last year of their rookie deal? Exactly right. the same place that JT is at. This to me, the longer this goes on, and the, the fact that he's not there because he's rehabbing today, tells me that the Colts are are more than anything else concerned about injuries with him. So again, under the guise of speculation, if Jonathan Taylor is healthy, is his contract already extended? And we're not having this conversation. If they if they extend him tomorrow, in my mind, he's practicing the next day. All right, and that's I don't know how else you read it. Uh, but but we just don't know because we don't know if he is, is still rehabbing the injury, the high ankle sprain that he had the procedure on last year that everybody has report on. It takes two to four to six weeks to, to rehab. We're, we're seven months, so you know you want you wonder. You know, I talked to someone and they threw out the fact that he had a back injury or back issue, back pain, whatever. Well, James Steichen today said it's the ankle. Still, I mean, did, did, is this is this did the surgery not work? Did did Taylor, you know, re-injured, aggravated? You don't know. Uh, and if if it's the same ankle and and this is the same rehab, I mean, holy smokes, a seven month rehab for what everyone insists is two to three to five six weeks. So, but again, in, in the absence of information, you speculate. And I saw. You know, Stephen Holder reported, and, and Stephen's plugged in. He's plugged in that he, you know, JT's rehabbing away from the team and may for a couple of days. Probably the fact that they've got one more practice, it's a short practice, and then they're in Buffalo, it, it makes sense. But I, I don't know how, without any more information than we have, I don't know how you read it good that a player, any player, is rehabbing away from the team. Sure. I, I, I just don't. I, I, I don't. You don't trust the trainers. You don't trust the rehab guys. You don't. What? I mean, 
So, and I know the team did want him here after OTAs and that, that whatever it was, five or six weeks, they wanted him here and he, and he went elsewhere. So anything like this, it, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't help the encouragement, the optimism about where this thing is. And until we hear from, from JT, I mean, everything's speculation. And you're reading, again, you're reading body language and practice for crying out loud. Or, you know, the fact that he's not here when he generally has been here, you know, with varying degrees of engagement with, with the players. So I, I don't like where it's at. I, I keep saying that the, 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 the next move that needs to be made is his. He needs to, he needs to, you know, finish the rehab, whatever the heck that is, and practice and play. I, again, I had a long talk with Edgar James a few days ago, and he feels the pain of the of the running backs. He does. He thinks it's it's wrong and running backs this, that, and the other. And but then he he said, but when I faced this situation, not the same, sure, because JT's under contract and, and Edge faced the the franchise tag in his seventh year. He said, I I played. I decided to go out there and kill it and try to lead the league in rushing and and then worry about it. And he said, no, I wouldn't tell JT. Because I said, well, what would you advise JT? He said, I wouldn't wouldn't do that. I I would just say, this is what I did. This is why I did it. (laughs) But he also said that everybody's got to do what's right for them. and, And that's what JT's trying to do. But I just don't know if the Colts are going to play this hard stance, which it seems like they are. I don't know what his end game is other than coming in and playing. I, I don't see what it is. I'm going to say we're 33 days out from the first game. On September the 10th, do you think Jonathan Taylor is in the lineup? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and I say that because I don't know what else What else is he going to do. Sit? <laughs> stay on pup for eight games? The, 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 I guess a problem. The issue, if he let's say he stays on pup or whatever, for, which is like any eight games, nine games, whatever it is, he still gets paid. You're paid on pup. You know, if they've done the non-football injury, then that gives them the, the option of, of of withholding pay. So, but but I don't see. Uh, I, I would need to see an, an instance where not playing or a player not playing helped their situation moving forward. I, I that's you know the only really the only real leverage a player has is withholding services. But it's got to make sense, and I just you know, somebody smarter than me, and there's a bunch of people out there. They need to explain to me how a player after three years has the leverage to play hardball with a team that if JT is not out there uh, against Jacksonville September 10th, somebody will be. I mean, they'll have a running back, and he won't be nearly as good at all as JT. But but as Jim Bursey uneloquently said the other day is you know the league goes on <laughs> he could he could have said it better sure but he's right he's right so i i just don't know what the end game can be with a player and i'm i'm always all player get what you can when you can but you need to have some leverage and i again somebody needs some of what his leverage is other than withholding holding services which serves nobody any purpose. That is clearly the bad of training camp so far. I think Shaq Leonard is the good of training camp, and I'm going to get to him in a matter of moments. Uh, This is more good than bad, but where we're still in kind of judgment mode would be 
Anthony Richardson. I have been seeing the progress he has been making. Does that mean that he's a surefire, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer? I have no earthly idea. Uh, as someone that's done this, oh, for oh, 40 different training camps, um, what are you seeing from Anthony Richardson so far? Kind of what we expected, good and bad. Bad. I mean, good and not so good. Uh, I thought today was a, was a so-so day. Uh, by him and by all the offense. Gardner Minshew is sort of Gardner Minshew. I mean, he he is what he is. You know what he is. You know what you're getting. You're getting Rick Venturi and I were talking. You're you're getting a singles hitter, an occasional double, but singles hitter. You know, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. With with Richardson, you're you're you see stuff. You you see stuff, and this is not at full speed. You know, they, they, they replicate it as much as they can in practice. But with a player like him, where you got to tackle him in a game, you got to tackle him. Well, you're not really – you don't get that opportunity now, so you really don't get a chance to see him, you know, avoiding people and running through people. The arm's there. You see that. He he, he makes some great throws and then some not-so-great throws, which which is what you anticipated. So, of all these guys, probably he needs to play. I mean, I go back to whoever it was at, after the draft, whether it was Chris or Sykin or even Ursay, were reps, you know, OTA reps and preseason reps and preseason game reps and all that. And, and that's what he needs. And he needs that in Buffalo against the Bears, in Philly. Uh, we'll find out probably Thursday, hopefully, what their what the quarterback rotation is going to be. And I, it just makes sense that you start Richardson with the first unit and you play, whether you want to say a quarter, quarter and a half, it'll probably to me more on plays, 15 plays, 20 plays, because sure. you say a quarter and you have a couple of three and outs and you're done. So he just, he needs to see things that he's not seen yet. And it, almost every game he plays, he'll say, well, I didn't see that. I didn't see that before. Well, that, that's what, <laughs> that's what it's, that's what it's for. So I, I think he needs to play, and I wouldn't I wouldn't start Minshew with the first group and then throw Richardson out there with the second group. That makes not a lot of sense. So I think as, as much as Richardson plays in preseason games, which, again, it needs to be whatever the number is, uh, it needs to be with the first unit because you're not going to put him out there with the, 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 the second offensive line or, or a patchwork group. Boy, the kid needs to play, and – you know, the only way you get better, you know, is by experiencing things, and you do that by playing. Again, Mike Chappell, CBS 4, Fox 9, joining us here, Greg Rakestraw, Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. So talking about seeing things, uh, to me, we've seen much more of Shaq Leonard than I expected uh, to this point. What about you? Yeah, we were talking before camp, and, you know, boy, will he open up camp on Pup again, and that can't be a good sign. He didn't, and I'm telling you, they did. They have not eased him in. They, they they've taken stair steps, you know, and finally the you know contact in teamwork. But he's been out there like, you know, Kevin Bowens mentioned. Just every session, every level, he's been out there. And yeah, you know, they've not had him in all eleven eleven with full pads. But he's out there. It's encouraging. He's he's been more optimistic, I think, than he was last year. Uh, because I think he he sees what did he tell us he, he said I'm, I'm I'm starting to see the guy that I used to know meeting himself and and but no it, it's encouraging now what 
he needs to play some in preseason too. You know, I not a quarter, not a half, but he needs to get out there and cross that last hurdle. I think of of you know of getting hit when maybe you don't expect it and at full speed and how do you react? So he need, he needs maybe like a running back. I'll use a joke with it. Edgerin about pre he he hated preseason hated it, but you need to get the first hit. You need to experience a little bit, and I think he needs that a little bit too. There's only so much you can do in practice. So you know next week with the Bears coming in, he'll get a lot of work. But I, I do think he needs to play a little in games just to just to get that feel back. But I tell you, from what my from what my expectations were pre camp to now. It, it's night and day. He looks good. He looks like he's got the speed and, and the quick change back. And, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be a day one starter or back all pro, but it, it's very, very encouraging because the player we saw in, in, what was it, 74 snaps last year? Right. That wasn't him. That wasn't him. It was a shadow. Yeah, not even close. Right. So, so very, very, very encouraging. All right, so with that, uh, this this hit me as, as, as we're sitting here having this conversation. Obviously, it's Mike Chappell, Greg Rakestraw with you, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. You've seen a lot of head coaches, uh, more than a couple of hands could count in your days of, of covering this football team. Is there a previous head coach of this team that Shane Steichen reminds you of? Well, it's a good question because he, he's all ball. He is. He's all ball, and we've had sometimes pre before practice that he's come over to the media and just sort of, you know, shot the ball, and and he's really kind of casual. Then you get him behind that microphone, and he is he's all football. Doesn't want to talk injuries. Doesn't want to talk scheme too much. Boy, who would I compare him to? Not Jim Mora, I don't think. Uh, no, I don't know. That's a good question because Tony Dungy was more more uh, engaging. Sure. I think Frank certainly was. Frank was. Frank Frank was really, really engaging. I, that's a really good – I'd have to sit back and think, but no one comes to mind. Because yeah. th- this guy is more, let's just talk football. Let's just – and to some level of football. We're not going to talk about schemes or anything like that, which is – that's fine. As long as you win. I'll tell you, if they win right, doesn't matter. rookie quarterback – Yep. If the rookie quarterback is, is advancing, you don't care. You know, but I, li- I like his approach. I think he's perfect – and we all we've said this all along that, that this was a perfect marriage with quarterback whisperer sort of and a rookie quarterback. And this is if Richardson can't make it here, I don't know where he makes it because he's got the perfect setup with, with the head coach and and, and coordinator and, and quarterback coach to really make it work. And he's got, and he's got a backup in Gardner Minshew that is going to push him, but not. I mean, he, Gardner Minshew knows his place, so I, I think it's a great setup. And but it's real. That's a good question. You ought to compare him to. I can't think of anybody because he's so unique in that he's all, he, he's really all football when when he's engaging with the media in, in a public setting. Folks, I have just given Chappie an idea for a column at some point in time uh, during the course of, yep. uh, of his preseason coverage. All right, I'm so gonna he, sit, I'm going to be sitting here watching something on TV now. I'm just going to say, hey, uh, <laughs> who, who might that be? And, uh, good question. I got you locked in now for the rest of the day. Yep. All right. Uh, we when, when you have a rookie quarterback and you have the Jonathan Taylor situation, it blots out the sun. That, that, that's all we right. talk about. It's all we think about. But one constant every year is there's somebody in camp that makes a bunch of plays that you weren't thinking about, and you go, maybe that guy's got a role here. Maybe that guy's going to make the team. 
have we had that guy yet? And often, you know, there, there there's the preseason all stars. There there there's the, there's the Kaipo Maguires. There's the Drew Haddads of the world. Sometimes that guy is Dominic Rhodes, and he ends up having seven or eight years in the National Football League. Other times, it's you trade that guy for a seventh round pick to the Dallas Cowboys. Is there a guy that you have been surprised that you have noticed him as much as you have so far in camp this year? Probably not. I mean, Michael Strawn keeps making those highlight plays, but boy, you need to make the down-to-down plays we, that that's been missing. The one guy that just always shows up. Let me get his name here. Is is the linebacker uh, Alubi, number fifty? There you go. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> he, he blows people up. He just blows people up. Now, is he going to be a special teams guy? Is he a practice squad guy? I don't know. But but th- those are the guys when they're yeah they're having contact but it's sort of hit and hold up. He he's been he's been laying people out, which, which is kind of good as long as you don't take it too far. He he's he he'll be a guy I'm going to watch when the Bears come in here because that's the kind of guy that sort of ignites things. We'll start the fight. Yep. <laughs> Wait, okay, you say fight, I say things, but sure. we're talking the same the same deal. But so other than that, I mean, you, you want to kind of get high on a running back and, and, and Zach Moss, you know, breaks his arm and Deion Jackson does it. I, I, I think if I, if I were into fantasy football, which I'm not, a guy I would lean on this year offensively is Alec Pierce. I think he's going to have a big year. I think he's well-suited to what they want to do and what Richardson does is buy time and occasionally throw deep. Cause I, and that's Pierce's game. They couldn't do that last year. I remember talking to Reggie a few times, and he would about Pierce. He said, "I keep telling these guys we got to throw deep. We got to at least take our shots, which they didn't do very much last year. So th- th- those are the main guys. I mean, Michael Pierce has been, Pittman's been Pitt, Pittman. He's he's going to have another, you know, good year. But Pierce is the one that I really think. And then and, and then Josh Downs, you see him doing that slot stuff." Yeah, I think he's going to have a big year. But other than that, I mean, it's they need to get the cornerback. I'm going to write the cornerbacks today or tomorrow. They've got 10 cornerbacks, and only three of them entered the NFL as draft picks. Right. All three of them this year, which is really strange when you got t- 10 corners and, and seven of them are entered the league as undrafted free agents, which is just really, really unique and scary, I guess. So it, it's – but it's really kind of – it's been so hard, I think, to 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 see to watch the growth of the team when you're out there so focused on laser focused right. on Richardson it, it, and and to a lesser degree Leonard, but uh, you know everything this team does it, one it depends on the offensive line playing well, which I think they will. Last year was just well, I I, I could use the word that Matt Ryan used. But I want. I don't want to get you guys fired. Yeah, a show, just a, 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 right, a and a right. not good show at that. Yes, right. But, but number one, it's the offensive line. Number two, it's, it's the quarterback. And 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 record wise, I don't know what they're going to be this year. I like the the six over under that Vegas has. That's a really good number uh, to, to go with. But it's all about has has the quarterback is it growing as the season goes on? If that happens. It really doesn't matter what the record is this year because, to me, everything's pointing towards sure. 2024. As always, my friend, thanks for the time. I'll see you on Thursday morning. 
Talk to you later. You got it. Mike Chappell, again, CBS 4, Fox 59, kind enough to join us. All right, so a couple things I'll add before we get to our next break. Uh, the He thought the the same person that I did, Saguna Luby, I believe I'm saying his name properly. I'll, I'll have that ready for Saturday's telecast. Uh, and again, he's in a position at linebacker where he's got a chance to make the team as a special teams player or as a backup. So number 50 for the Colts on defense on Saturday. Watch how many plays he makes because he's just kind of around the ball every time he is on the field. But it has been a unique and different training camp. Like I said, there's there's the obvious position battle at quarterback. Other than that, I'm I'm not sure there's many position battles. And clearly, we have not had a situation like JT. Again, you had Marshall Falk that wanted to be traded after the 98 season. He was gone before the draft. He was traded back in April. You've had you know draft picks hold out. Edgerin James 99 was the year before I started covering the team in training camp on a regular basis. But he was there by like week two of the preseason. So it, it's, it's not been, and, and again, other than the Moss breaking of the arm which again is going to cause him he may be ready for the first week he may not be ready for week one it might be a week or two in gasp you've not had that big preseason injury it's bound to happen at some point it happens everywhere right i mean even last year i mean and we're weren't sure how much this guy is going to play but a guy we talked about said man that guy looks good is drew ogletree well he got hurt before they ever played the first preseason never got to get into a game Tight end might be the best position battle on the entire roster because they've got a they've got some guys that have played elsewhere, guys that have been in camp, and I'm not sure they're carrying more than three. And there may be some some guys that have played in the National Football League before that I'm not sure are making this roster as of opening day. And maybe maybe we'll get more concerned with that as we get to cut down day, um, you know, after the last preseason game on August the 24th. But that may be the position where there are the tightest battles to make the roster might be the tight end position. But then again, I I get it and I understand it. First round pick, veteran backup, that's where you're watching. Player who has clearly been affected by injuries the last two years, back on the field, that's where you're watching. Player that's your star player that's on the field or on the side of the field but not playing and not happy, that's what you're watching. It's been a different camp. As for doggone sure. We'll take this quick time out when we come back. Kurt Cavan, formerly of the Indianapolis Star. These days, IndyCar.com. But we'll talk probably more Brickyard slash NASCAR with him. We'll get some IndyCar conversation. But yes, it is a big weekend at 16th in Georgetown. And we'll talk to Kurt about that next. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, a couple of things to point out. Um, I, I always forget, even though like... I'm like Pavlov's dog. I'm well-trained. I see a camera in front of me. If you're watching the feed, like the host tends to, like when I'm, when I'm doing like monologues, I look straight at the camera. Like when I'm talking to a guest, I'm kind of doing other things and having a conversation. But like, instead of like, like looking at Jimmy, I'm looking straight at the camera because it's, it's what I do. Camera, 
Camera, I wouldn't say the, I was going to say the camera loves me, but I couldn't even get through it with a straight face and say that. So, but anyway, um, I, I forget that you know people are are watching the feed. So I've been asked, "What's the hat?" Uh, this is Salt Creek Golf Club. I was asked about that this morning too. So rocking a golf hat from beautiful Nashville in Brown County. Other thing that I will share via Twitter that came down during the uh, last segment of the show, and this is for those of you that have an interest in Butler University basketball. They are playing in the uh, what used to be like the, the is is the D- the Disney event basically the Orlando Invitational that takes place at the Disney uh, Sports Complex over Thanksgiving weekend. Butler is playing in that event, and their first round opponent has been announced, and they are taking on Dusty May and Florida Atlantic. So Butler gets the surprise Final Four team from a season ago. That will be their opening game down in Orlando. Now let's talk a little racing, shall we? And we've been doing this with on this radio station since like day one. He was on last night. He'll be on again tonight and every night this week. It's Kurt Cavan of Trackside with Kevin Lee. And, of course, these days of IndyCar.com. And I'm sure a real estate deal close to you as well. Hello, my friend. How are you? Nice to hear from you, Rake. And, and I tried not to look at your camera right now. I know what you look like. I know what you look like. Right, so. yeah. I'm, I'm, be- I'm better off on radio, uh, face made for radio. I, I get that completely. Um, this hit me in, in getting ready for the show today, and I'm, I'm, my guess is knowing you, there's there's something you're working on or, or thinking about this too. Can you believe this is the 30th NASCAR weekend in Indianapolis? Oh, it's un- it's unbelievable. I mean, and, and what's really unbelievable about it is I remember 94, really even the preparations – for the NASCAR weekend in 92, we tested. We had a big test at the Speedway. Then in, in 93, they came back in and just, you know, it seems like Jeff Gordon's a kid, you know, and it was just 30 years ago. So he had a birthday the other day, and I thought about it. I always think about that on August 4th, the first brickyard, the first uh, time really the world got to see Jeff, even though he had won at Charlotte a couple months earlier in the year, that year. But, uh it's uh, it's it's certainly a long time ago in in motorsports and in my life. From from that first weekend, and obviously Jeff Gordon winning is is kind of the roll credits and 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 pay it off moment. But whether it was what seventy something cars that tried to qualify, um, just the overall, I can't believe I'm seeing these cars on this track. What memories immediately come flooding back to your mind the first weekend of August of 1994? Well, I, you know we got a, we've gotten a little callous to the fact that any kind of car can race the speedway because we see sports cars like we're going to see next month and we're going to see an endurance race uh, in next next year's calendar. Uh, we're going to see NASCAR again. We're going to see Indy cars, road courses. We've seen MotoGP. We've seen Formula One, historic cars. We've seen all these cars and we forget that in 1994, it was like, you know, if it wasn't an Indy car going right. in circles, we had never seen it. At, at the speedway and so that first time when when they tested in 92 i i just remember you know i think the nascar guys were as uh appalled or that's not the right word i think they were just kind of shell-shocked as we were you know they just couldn't have imagined uh driving at the speedway and and so you know a lot has changed uh, mostly for the good, uh, but it was uh, it was a strange time for sure, uh, strange sight. And I think the other thing that people forget, and in those seventy some cars that they had uh, trying to make the field, were guys like AJ Foyt, yep. Danny Sullivan, 
you know, it was a it was an IndyCar cast of characters as well. So it's um it's good memories for sure. All right. So with that, um, seemingly the direction, nothing official. But seemingly the direction that we are heading is after trying the road course, it appears that maybe going back to the Oval could be in the immediate future for NASCAR here. Just your thoughts on kind of weighing the pros and cons of, of, of just turning left or turning right and left here at 16th and Georgetown, specifically for the stock cars. Well, I think about it, and this isn't the way maybe everyone thinks about it at the Speedway, but I think about it just in terms of, you know, you get one shot a year at the Oval, um, and being on the Oval is is historically what matters. Yeah. And so, getting the chance to go back to the Oval is really what's what's uh, that's in what what's in my heart. Now, I'm glad we got to see the road course. I thought the racing has been very good, and you want to see it this weekend. It, it's going to be outstanding. I mean, those guys attack two or three of the corners in particular. I think about that the little left, right, left. Right, left, whatever it is, uh, coming onto the main road inside the racetrack, Holman Boulevard. Yep. There's that little jog, turns five and six, and that's really exciting stuff. Uh, turn one of the oval, or turn one of the road course, turn four of the oval's outstanding. So it's really entertaining. But I think, you know, we could have road courses forever, and I will struggle to remember who wins the road course races. I won't forget who wins the <laughs> oval. And that's kind of the difference. What is also seemingly going away, and I understand not having, you know, three races in a 17 race schedule, the IndyCar series here in Indianapolis. I get it. But it seems that if, if NASCAR goes back to the oval, then obviously a second IndyCar road race, you know, kind of goes away and, and, and that will go to a, a different market in the, in the IndyCar circuit. But I do think there is something that is awfully cool and very valuable about having these two together for one weekend a year. Is there any way that can be produced someplace else? I I know television contracts play a factor, and obviously NBC has both. Once we get to this time of the year, does that get replicated, or does that now go away, Tim? Well, you know, like you said, there are very few places you could do it, and, and I think it's special at Indy to do it. And so I don't know that I'd be a proponent of it a lot of places. There might be a few I'd have to think hard about that, but but from an IndyCar side, I think uh, doing it at the Speedway is pretty special. You know, you won't. You know, a lot of our our listeners won't get a chance to really watch the faces of the NASCAR drivers in particular as they watch the IndyCars go through the same corners that they do, and they're just they're just in awe. They're race fans, you know, and they they love to watch IndyCar racing and Formula One and. You know, they'll watch uh, just about anything, and but they love, you know, being up close and personal because they're on the road, you know, 40-some nights, sure. nights a year, and, and they don't get to see any cars up close. So it's really good for both sides, and it's a great event. I mean, Saturday, I don't know how you don't buy a ticket on Saturday. You got an IndyCar <laughs> race, an Xfinity race. You got cup cars practicing, cup cars qualifying, IndyCars practicing. Yeah, it's just a uh, Xfinity practicing and qualifying. It's just a great day, and Saturday will Saturday be outstanding at the Speedway. You know, we were so lucky, and obviously you, you touched on Jeff Gordon again just through the confluence of circumstances. You guys got to know each other even away from the track kind of kind of early in his days. He's kind of the USAC ranks and, and before he, he made the cup. But we had, we had Gordon, we had Newman, we had Stewart. We had all this influx of Indiana guys in the cup circuit. Now we kind of have Chase Briscoe. Have you had yeah. a chance to get to kind of get to know him all that well at this point? 
I, I have. Uh, the other one that I think of in the same light, while it's not the same thing, is Austin Sindrick. Sure. Who has such a connection sure. to the Speedway with his dad, Tim Sindrick. His grandfather, Carl, helped build engines at the Speedway years ago. His other grandfather owned Mid-Ohio. Uh, so, that you know, and, and won the Indy 500 as a as a sponsor in in, uh, in in 86 with Bobby Rahal. So Austin Sindrick fits the bill of a hometown kid for me. Uh, so both those guys have been outstanding. But you, you think about guys, not only do we have Stuart and Gordon and 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 such, but we had Kenny Irwin and Stevie Reeves. Of course. And, you know, it, it was uh, it was a real group there that uh, that I had the pleasure of really getting to know early and uh, and often as we watched at the Speedway. But Briscoe's a great, a great story. Uh, I like watching him. And, and of course, Almendinger, while not an Indianapolis guy, is certainly has a real connection to this place. Should have Shoulda, coulda, woulda in 06 to win, or was it 05? I get him a little bit mixed up. I guess it was 06. Could have won the Indy 500. Uh, and and uh, so it's it's really cool to watch all those guys. Chase was out at, at, at Colts practice today as well, uh, w- w- which was cool to see. All right, let's talk about what is more of the day job for you. We just had Kyle Kirkwood on um, about an hour and a half ago, and he was about as impressive in an interview as he was in a race car. And I was I shouldn't be surprised by this, but the the to the minute detail he gave of being upside down and going down the back stretch uh back on Memorial Day weekend, uh he's a pretty impressive kid, isn't he? Oh, he's he's as good as they get. Uh he's been raised right. Uh we say that about a lot of people, but but just really gets it. Uh, we have him on, on our show on uh, trackside at nights and and he calls early uh you don't have to call him to remind him he doesn't need a pr person to set it up you know he just can handle himself and and really uh appreciates everything that he gets he's such a good a good young man i say that you know based on the age of the two of us uh but uh he's really something special and i see why andretti is has uh, tried to lock him up for, for as long as they can. We can think about this from a championship standpoint, and I know you and I have had the conversation that the season that Pelot is having is similar to the one that Dan Weldon had back in 2005, where it, was, it wasn't it was exactly uh, – it, it was a done deal with a race or two left to go. He was going to win the series championship. Um, Pelot is, is 84 points in front – of Joseph Newgarden. He's 126 in front of Scott Dixon. But as I literally look across, I've got the stats right in front of me. Through 13 races, he has not been outside of eighth. He literally has been in the top five in 11 of 13 races. Give me some historical context. Have we seen a season like this one in IndyCar racing before? So Tony Kanaan, the year before in 2004, had a season that really for the ages in terms of the modern era. And he finished every lap that year, right? Correct? Is that right? Yeah. He he completed every lap. His average finish was 3.0. But here's an unbelievable stat. Under the same scoring system, even with extra points that we gave out at qualifying at Indy, uh, Polo has more points through 13 races than Kanan did in 2004. Yeah. So this is this is historical in nature. I started to say that Foyt in 1964 just dominated, won almost every race, and and you're not going to see one of those kind of seasons again. Kind of like uh, Max Verstappen is having in Formula <laughs> One. He's won 
10 of the 12 races in Formula One, but Polo has just been incredible. And even on his bad days, he wasn't great at Nashville, but he still finished third. Right. That had to be demoralizing. <laughs> Here's the other thing. You know, we, we, we think Newgarden's still got a shot if it, everything goes right for him. He has not beaten Polo. The only time he's beaten Polo this season, been ahead of him at the finish, is in the races that Newgarden won. Yeah. So if Newgarden doesn't win, Pelot's going to get him, and that has to be demoralizing. Pelot beats in the spot every time. All right, what's on the show tonight, my friend? Oh, we've we've got a special guest who supported the Burger Bash back in May, and we like having uh, race fans in studio. And so get the get the popcorn ready there in the booth, and we will uh, come in there and entertain tonight. We're in studio tonight, which is always a good time. And, uh, you know, what I like about this particular week and Indy 500 week is it's every night you yeah. get into a rhythm, you know, that you're going to give live updates in a, in a sense, practice will end like at six thirty on a, on a Thursday night or Friday night this week. And we'll have live action right after that. So I really like race weeks at Indianapolis. Uh, well, since I didn't do this off the top, you better believe I'm going to remember it going out the door. The pride of the Pulliam School of Journalism at Franklin College. It is Kurt Cabin that joins us now. I will see you this weekend at the track, my friend. Be good. Thank you. You may have to add I'm a professor as well. So At Franklin College, too? <laughs> yeah, or a lecturer, let's call it that. The professorial <laughs> Kurt Cabin joins us. See you, buddy. Kurt Cabin, kind enough to join us here again on the Fan Midday Show. We'll come back and try to make sense of all of this when we come back on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Back for the final go-round. I'll be back with you next week, or maybe not. I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll get with my agent, and his people will talk to the people here. We'll see if I can do one more show next week, because clearly I don't have enough to do on my plate. With that, let's make you some money, shall we? The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, all baseball. We're going to take the Atlanta Braves turn the money line over the Pittsburgh Pirates. Going to lay one and a half on the run line for the Texas Rangers as they are in Oakland against the Athletics. Give me the Chicago Cubs on the money line over the New York Mets and around things out. We'll double up on Chi-Town. Give me the Chicago White Sox to run the money line over the New York Yankees. One and two yesterday. One and two on the week. Those are your plays of the day. What was the money line on the Ramirez-Anderson fight over the course of the weekend? <laughs> As I made the joke uh, to a buddy of mine the other day, Yankees are in Chicago battling the White Sox. My bet I was looking for was over under six innings before Tim Anderson gets put to sleep. Haven't been able to find that on the betting market. Uh, obviously, so. we have uh, you know we talked about a suspension of a broadcaster not of an actual baseball player uh, earlier in the program. Uh, and it still just makes zero sense to me. Uh, I had somebody on Twitter hit me up. I'm not sure where this is coming from. Uh, the Orioles have denied it. I've not seen anything like, like as I do like a search, I've not seen anything that pops up and says, hey, definitively this dude wasn't suspended. Now I have seen that he's going to be back in the booth on Friday, uh, which is good. Um, but I, I tend to be, be of the belief that um, the outcry of what the blank are you doing, um, that's generally from like every other team, broadcaster, media outlet, et cetera, is what is causing this, I'm using the air quotes here, um, you know, suspension to end. We have not talked about the Guardians-White Sox get-together and something that was very rare for a baseball fight was actually a fight. I have also literally never seen the length of this of suspension determined by who legitimately won the fight 
it was pretty one-sided. Ramirez won the fight. Uh, I saw whether it was sa- Sunday or yesterday, he came out and did the right thing and said, hey, listen, I want to apologize. That's not right. You know, I, I shouldn't have done that. Um, but um, he got three games, and the dude that got cold cock got six games. Apparently, Tim Anderson started it. Jose Ramirez finished it when they got together. Because let's face it, most most fights in any sport that you know aren't actual fights, um, you know, end up with guy saying something, guy swinging and backing up, and then immediately somebody else hold me back. There's not exactly much in the way of legitimate fights that go on. Um, this was, you know, we can knuckle up anytime, any place. Because it was going down at second base, and it was, and the Tom Hamilton call was tremendous. I, I, I know Tom has done like some Big Ten stuff, like he would be on Big Ten Network at least at some degree. I think he still does some stuff. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. I don't know if Tom has a hockey background. And if you don't know who Tom is, if you heard his voice, he's been the voice of the Cleveland Indians now, Cleveland Guardians forever, and he's really good. Um, like most, you know, if you get to Major League Baseball, you're pretty good at your job. Um, I don't know if he has a hockey background. In other words, hockey's the only sport, and even that is so much less than it used to be, where routinely you would be giving play-by-play of dudes squaring off and throwing haymakers. That's it. But Tom, Tom channeled his down goes Frazier exceedingly well. Kids don't do that. But it was a legitimate fight that was interesting to watch. Uh, I referenced uh, Florida Atlantic and Butler playing in the ESPN Invitational. Again, that's the old uh, old Spice Classic at the World of Sports Complex in Orlando. Uh, Butler is on the same side of the bracket as Penn State and Texas A&M. Other teams that will be playing in that event include Boise State, Virginia Tech, Iowa State, and VCU. The other thing that I have neglected to mention that took place last night and did catch some of my attention, Pacers fans, if you are jonesing for some Tyrese Halliburton, you can have a chance to watch uh, last night, Team USA, uh, Tyrese playing for uh, the the Team USA in the FIBA World Cup, which is the old World Basketball Championships. It's like the one black eye we have as a hosting city for events in Indianapolis. Not that we did something wrong with it. It just didn't click. It didn't resonate back in 2002. It's like the one thing that didn't go well for whatever reason here in Indianapolis. Um, but Tyrese is playing for the uh, America's team for FIBA World Cup. United States beats Puerto Rico 117-74. to I'm not going to lie. I, I watched like part of the first half. I fell asleep at about halftime or so or turned the channel and didn't come back. When I was watching, it was a much closer game. So when I read Scott Agnes's story on FieldhouseFiles.com, I went, huh. We won by 40-something. Hey, good for us. Uh, Tyrese had 12 assists in last night's game. So if you want to watch him in action, here are the times and places in which you can. The U.S. will be playing Slovenia and Spain. That will be coming up Saturday and Sunday. Those are both afternoon games. Uh, FS1 on Saturday, Fox on Sunday, I would ask that you would wait to watch the game against Slovenia until after, say, 4 o'clock. I would hope you'd be watching something else 
from, say, but one in four on Saturday. What that might be, I have no idea. Then uh, the Americans, as they're slowly making their way to the Philippines, good way to fight the jet lag that way, they're playing in Abu Dhabi against Greece and Germany. That is the following weekend. That's Friday and Sunday at noon. Again, FS1 and Fox. Then the World Cup schedule, at, they play New Zealand, Greece, and Jordan. Not Michael Jordan or not the brand. This is the country of Jordan. We're playing them in the World Cup in the Philippines. And so this is why when this was said, hey, this is like a five or six week commitment for Tyrese Halliburton. They're not kidding. And they played a friendly last night. Last night was August the 7th. The World Cup doesn't start until August the 26th. It's a young Team USA. I'm thrilled that Tyrese is playing And I'm not going to lie, and I know that Miles Turner has played since that time for team. I think he played in the last World Cup uh, four years ago, I think. I could be wrong about that. Um, But ever since Paul George got hurt, all I think about is that for that event as he was getting ready to play for Team USA. So it's, it's stupid. It was a freak injury. I admit the idiocy of the statement in which I am making as I say it. I still kind of white-knuckle it thinking about a Pacers player getting hurt, a Pacers star getting hurt while doing the right thing playing for Team USA. All right, Jimmy, you heard me yammering on throughout the course of the show in terms of IndyCar, NASCAR, conference realignment, suspending broadcasters for no good reason, Colts training camp, what have I missed? What what topics would you like to jump in on since we have like 100 seconds left to go on the show? Two tiny nuggets. We've talked about available free agent running backs. I know the Colts signed Kenyon Drake, but was there any possibility for them to go grab somebody else? Uh, free agent name likely gone now. Kareem Hunt going to the Saints, barring a physical. And then the other nugget tonight, 10 o'clock, hard knocks with the New York Jets on Max begins, if you're into that kind of thing. Are you one of those people that will religiously I'm going to give it a shot because the Rodgers of it all, and it's the Jets, and they're intriguing this year. So I'll give it a go, and we'll see where it takes me. Since I'm apparently in an admission sort of mode, um, I, I think I am older than my age on many fronts. One of them is how I consume things. I still tend to watch things like on cable television. I do pay for a few streaming services like Paramount Plus, like ESPN Plus, probably because of what I do for a living. Um, I, I, I don't have Apple TV. I know that you do to watch Lionel Messi. Yep. That has been rewarded clearly oh, with man. seven goals through four games so far. So while we're admitting things that we don't have from a streaming standpoint, the wife has Max. I don't. So I think I'm going to bum her phone to watch Hard Knocks of the Jets. <laughs> I was actually on Hard Knocks. My voice was for the Colts. I never watched it. Uh, But here's the thing. Because I don't have Apple TV, I had never watched Ted Lasso until I crashed at a place this weekend that had Apple TV. And I'm now about 10 episodes in. So on that note, be curious and not judgmental. We'll talk to you soon.